tuned in to the cold hard truth. Cayman's number one hard-hitting live podcast show, where we feature some straightforward conversations on political, social, and celebrity news, and all things happening in the Cayman Islands and around the world. This show was created to give the people a voice and a means of being involved and informed without any filters. Sometimes it gets crazy, but we always keep it real. We bring you the tea. Piping hot, so grab your favorite beverage and join the conversation via WhatsApp at 324-1612. Email tips at caymanmorrowroad.com. Now, here's your host, Sandy Hill, broadcasting live from the beautiful Cayman Islands. stuff Ooh, bedhead. Wow. Ooh, like the the mellow after sun conditioner and some uh, shampoo from bedhead so we're nice. not kidding around with the swag bag that's that's a little yeah it's worth oh, about 200 bucks so that's sure it is that's what you get when you come to the slumber party yeah. under the stars on saturday night november 20th wow 
And again, tickets available at eventpro.ky. Just 60 bucks, and we're raising money. And this bag you can use for a lot of other stuff. It's so nice. Wow. For sure. That's great. Yeah. So, and obviously, again, it's all for a great cause. So, mm-hmm. there you go. All right, time is 728. Big news. I have some important news for you. Interesting news. It's Blake and Darren's Spilling the Tea with Sandy. K-Man's top news headlines of the day from CMR. Good morning, Sandy. Morning. Sandy Hill. Hello, good morning. There she is. Okay. We're thinking maybe you have the uh, audio issues today. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yesterday, no. our, uh, our studio computer died. We ended up being a power supply. Oh, gosh. Issue, so that had to be replaced. And uh, voila, we're back. Awesome. Voila. Awesome. voila. Modern technology. Yeah. Gotta love it. I know. It's, it's amazing how much we rely on technology. And then mm-hmm. yeah. when something goes haywire, uh, the wheels just come off. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway. thankfully, you have the resources to fix it quickly. Right? Yes, exactly. Shout out to uh, to our, our good friend uh, who knows IT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> IT man. Our it's IT just, guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. What's up, Sandy? What's, Nothing what's to see news? here. <laughs> um, you know, we're still waiting on some results, as it turns out. Uh, nothing new on that front. So it really seems like I think public health is struggling a little bit with these um, numbers. So, yeah. And the lateral flow tests haven't, like, helped alleviate any of that? Um, I, I can only imagine what it would be like if we didn't have the lateral flow tests. Let me put it that way. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Yes, I think that the truth of the matter is um, that they weren't really ready for this, you know? Um, so well, they're uh, trying to get ready, but... We spoke to uh, the governor. He'll be on actually this morning at 745. So just a little bit with a, with a fireside COVID chat. Uh, and we do uh, delve into the lateral flow tests and uh, the amount of tests that the government has ordered. They have right. not arrived yet, though. No. Okay. So yeah. we actually have um, the premier on the program today. And he will be okay. answering a number of COVID-related questions for anyone who's interested um, but yes, there are a lot of questions. I've been fielding questions even beforehand because um, people are just trying to understand how the process is going to work. And, you know, so we're, we're getting his Q&A segment ready as we speak. So, yeah. Um, and news, though, we want to say congratulations to the Sunrise Center. They have celebrated 35 years. As you guys know, they're an adult training center um, mm-hmm. for people uh, differently abled. And so they've just celebrated 35 years this week. So congratulations oh. to them. Oh, nice. That's cool. Excellent. Congrats. Um, and in other news, I mean, court has been extremely interesting over the last couple of days. Okay. Um, so we reported a lady who gave testimony yesterday in court that her one of her alibis, I mean, she had a lot of different excuses or a bit confusing, but one of the alibis that was pretty interesting is that um, supposedly she was having an extramarital affair with a guy. And that explained why she had an alibi on the night of um, the Tortuga robbery. But he took the stand in support of the prosecution and said he's never had an affair with this woman. And so this <laughs> Usually when you get an alibi, alibi, you need to like... You should, the you should check in with the other person first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're like, I wasn't involved. Do they Don't... know that you're involved? Yeah. yeah. Like, Don't drag me into your nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. So they, this dude is like, uh, no. <laughs> Even if they were having an affair, it wasn't that night. 
Yeah, he said, no, it was no affair. And she mm. kind of like, oh yeah, we had, she was kind of vague initially about it. Like, oh, we had something going on. And then yesterday in court, she came right out and said, oh yes, we, we had something going on that night. And since then it was kind of like, eh, okay mm. then. <laughs> but that's like easily, that's easily, um, you know, checked after, so. Well, I mean, I listen, his word versus her word, I guess the judge will have to determine who she finds more credible. Mm. Not all criminals. It just reminds me of this song. Hold on. This song right here. This well, hold on. This song. This song. Right this song. Oh, this song. Yes. Romance. It wasn't me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll only play 15 seconds so you don't get in Facebook jail. I know, right? Not yeah. today of all days. No, anyway. Yeah, yeah, we definitely know the song. Trust me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Um. Well, that should be her, <laughs> that should be her anthem song for um the entire trial. It wasn't me. Right. Whoever robbed her too gay, wasn't me. Ah, well, don't do um, the crime if you can't pay. Do the time. I don't even know how it works. Yeah, the wrong thing. Don't I do so. the crime if you can't do the time. You yeah. said pay the time. <laughs> you can't stand the, the kitchen, get out of the heat. Yeah. You can't yeah. stand the, uh, if you the can't heat, stand get out of the heat. I know. If you can't stand the heat, get out of the office. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Aaron is not good at saying. I'm, I'm always messing them <laughs> up. Um, and the prison confirmed as of, I think, Friday that they had 20 inmates that were actually positive. And so they've ro rolled out a um, policy on how to deal with those. Mm. Um, so, yeah. I mean, we've um, always known that in, in prisons, we've seen this in other countries. It's so. super hard. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, I don't know if you heard this, Sandy. Um, I know you're a big watcher of General Hospital on TV. Is that, don't you love that? <laughs> Are you? That, that soap yeah. opera? Aren't you a big watcher of that? I don't think, I've ever, I don't think I don't, I've ever watched General Hospital in my life, actually. I thought, I thought that was your jam. No, no, no You don't sorry. sit around and watch it. How would you think that Sandy watches I'm General Hospital? Oh, okay. Anyway. I used to watch General a, Hospital. This is a story <laughs> that I just came across. Did when, you? I young, when I was younger okay, and it was on TV. Do you know the guy that plays Jax on General Hospital? He's been Listen, on This the, was the 90s when I watched General Hospital. He's been on the show for 25 years. Oh, really? plays, Let me see. He plays uh, the role of Jasper Jax Jax on ABC's General Hospital. Okay. It's, he's, he's, a, he's someone that's probably died and came back as another person. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, he is uh, he is an anti-vaxxer. Oh, oh on, no. this, on, on General Hospital or in just real life? In real life. life. <laughs> oh, okay. So he's losing his job. And because uh, uh, he, uh, the, the, the show or the, the TV network or whatever, mm -hmm has uh, mandated vaccines, uh, they've let him go after 25 years well, of wow. being on the show. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a, it's a weird hill to, to die on. Is that the same? Um, <laughs> I wonder how they're going to kill him off now. This will be interesting. Shall they make it oh, realistic no. that he died of COVID? <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I would <laughs> That's do. That's a good one. Um, yeah. I think that, oh, uh, so, I mean, you know what they could do is they always have them. They have the character because obviously the characters a liked one. There, there he is, folks. There's, there's Jax. I've never watched his show. So oh, yeah, there you go. So what? The, there you go. That's yeah. Okay, I know who you're talking. So I I've seen his picture before, but <laughs> basically what they're gonna do is they'll kill him <laughs> off some way, and then they'll bring back another actor who's probably actually vaxxed in real life, and then uh, they'll make play, him Jax. They'll be like, yeah, that person takes over. You know. Mm. It's, it's hard to replace an iconic person, though, that has been in the position for years. Like, you're better off just killing off the character, I think. They do it all yeah. the time. I remember they changed the girl once, and now that other girl that they replaced uh, mm -hmm. with her, she's uh, the same character, but they, were, they it was just different actors. 
she went on to do it for a long time. She might still be on one of those sitcoms. I can't even remember which one it is. Oh. But again, I used to watch these when I was younger with my mom. Uh, she would be like ironing and watching General Hospital. I was trying Hospital to remember the name. And what was the other? I'll what tell you the one that like? I used to what was the one Eileen was, was on? Eileen from the Real Housewives of My mom uh, used to watch Hills. the Like Sands to the Hourglass. That's one. Days of Our Life. Days that's of the one that was going to say. Days that, of Our Life. That's the one I'm talking about where the famous actress went by. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people came out and loved Days of Our Lives. But back in the day when I was like elementary school and I'd come home, have my cookies and get, you know, half an hour to watch TV, um, my show was Guide and Light. That was mm. my soap opera. My aunt oh, was like, yeah. Man, so. That's right. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out which one I lean. Well, I think Gen was General on. Hospital is the OG of of all the soap operas. I think it's. Is it? I think. I so. think Days of Our Lives was the best. Um, yeah. Days of Our Lives. Yeah, Eileen Davidson is in Days of Our Lives. There you go. There you go. I could probably watch that now, and the I could probably be right back into the storyline after not seeing it oh, for twenty totally. some yeah. years. I mean, I just can't you believe know. it. You, they... pick, you pick right back up. Nothing's changed, evidently. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, well, that was a fun conversation about what's going on in K-Man. Yeah. <laughs> and and in the soap opera world. Yeah. For yes. those that watch. Um, All right, anything else? Uh, just that, you know, although we're in the middle of a pandemic and we've been shut down, apparently K-Man has still been named a top island to visit in the Caribbean and the Atlantic. So that's um, some cool. accolades from Condé Nast Traveler magazine. Awesome. Yay. Well, yes. I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. So after November 20th, it'll be one of the greatest places to visit. So, Even better after yeah. the next phase. Yeah. Exactly. Sure. Another phase. Yeah. Well, good to see you this morning. Uh, catch All us right. live on Facebook and YouTube now. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, guys. Have a good day. See you later. Bye. Awesome. All right. Good morning, everyone. Buenos dias. How are you guys doing? So good to see you. Give me one second, and then we can do our morning uh, greetings and shout out. We are expecting the premiere um with us shortly and um he does have cabinet as a cabinet or caucus what they say tuesday i think tuesday's cabinet a bit later on so um we're going to jump into that get your questions ready ready like freddie um so yes Yesterday was a very interesting day in court. Woo-wee. We're going to talk about it on Friday. So I've earmarked Friday because tomorrow is Wednesday. The lawyers will do their final, um, um, their closing arguments. And so we will jump in on Friday and talk about Eve High Voltage. Man, it is. I wish all of you could have been there for this trial, but I will do my best to encapsulate what transpired. Good morning to the lovely Mitzi. Good morning to Alice. Don't miss Friday's show then, that's your cue. Good morning, Olivia. Charlene is here. Wendy Ann is here, so good to see you, Wendy. Diamond Princess, Sapphire's got it locked in. Felicia, Catherine, Miss Wee Wee's always got it locked in. Thank you for the support, Miss Wee Wee. We've got Ervalyn. Louis is here, top of the morning to you. Louis, thank you for sending the pictures of your dogs this morning. They're beautiful, actually. Really gorgeous. Uh, Miss Sue's here with her tea. I've got, um, hey, um, 50 by 50 is coming up here shortly. We're going to be launching it officially. As you guys know, I'm going to be trying to lose about 50 pounds um, by the time I hit 50. So that's the goal. And uh, one of the habits that I'm slowly trying to adopt 
every single morning is breakfast. And I know that that sounds easy um, to say, let's just eat breakfast, Sandy, what's the problem? But yeah, it, it's not that easy. Let me put it that way. So this morning for breakfast, so yesterday I had a little packet of oatmeal. So this morning I'm going to do an apple. Um, I love apples. Apples come in all, all flavors. <laughs> there's, I don't know how many variety of, of apples there are, but I feel like there's a lot of variety of apples. So um, I always get a few different ones that come in the bag. They're easy. For me, they're actually really, really easy um, to like eat. You know, you can just cut them up and have them on the go. My daughter loves apples as well. You know, kids go through this phase where um, initially they don't want to eat the skin of an apple. Thank goodness she's kind of over that now. So she'll actually eat the skin. Although I think a lot of times she still kind of eats around the skin. But anyway, I think she will eat it sometimes. So I eat the whole thing because the skin, I think, has got good fiber in it. Um, so an apple for breakfast is what I'm having today, just FYI. Uh, we've got Dawn locked in. We've got Miss Emma, Ervalyn, um, another Emma. <laughs> we've got two Emmas locked in right now. Um, good morning to all of you. Suzette is here. Suzette still watches Days of Her Lives, The Young and the Restless, and The Bold and the Beautiful. Really? Are they all still on? Like on regular TV? Because I know some of them went into, um, like they only stream online. So I'm curious, Suzette, if you still watch those on regular TV. Yeah, when I came to came out, I was so surprised at how everybody came out and was like into Days of Her Lives. It was legit a thing. Um, yeah. So I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. But I never, I mean, I, I watched a little bit of it. So I feel like I know some of the characters. Like, what was that crazy lady who, um, I think she was demon possessed or something, that character. Mm, I saw that for a minute. Um, who else was on Days or Lives? Was Stefano on Days or Lives? Stefano and, um, oh, what's the other lady's name? Um, but yeah, listen, so, <clears throat> soap opera careers are like, they really made it for some people. Like, I wouldn't know who Allison Sweeney was if it wasn't for Days or Lives. You know what I mean? These soap operas have made iconic um, characters. There's Stefano. There's who else am I thinking of? I mean, truly, um, oh, Bo and, um, oh, God, what were their names again? They were Days of Lives too, right? Um, yeah, there's Bo and uh, what's the other girl's name that he was always with? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I can't remember now. But anyway, you guys know who I'm talking about. So 55, 54 years, Days or Lives seems to have been around for at least. Um, wow, Leanne Rhymes was actually on Days of Our Lives? What? Uh, Jensen Akles, he's the guy who's on that TV series, Supernatural. He was on Days of Our Lives. So a lot of people, like you go back, <clears throat> and t Boz from um, TLC actually showed up on Days of Our Lives. Eileen Davidson, so she played uh, Kristen um, and Susan, so she's been on there for a minute. Uh, Lisa Renna, that's how Lisa Renna became <clears throat> more or less a household name. She played Billy. It was Bowen Bo Hope. Yes, Bowen Hope. So she was um, uh, in some kind of love triangle with them. So somebody said, yes, they're going down memory lane with me. 
Uh, Bo Hope, Stefano, what was his name, Stefano? Stefano, Marlena, Sammy, and Austin. Um, so, yes, um, all of those persons were on the show. But, yeah, some some really iconic um, individuals over the years. But, <clears throat> oh, Kyle Richards was at Days Our Lives? Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, Mila Kunis was in Days of Our Lives back in 1994. She was a kid back then. Um, interesting. Pamela Anderson, Vivica Fox was in Days of Our Lives, and The Young and the Restless. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's, um, there's been a lot of really good soap operas. But, yeah, my original, for me, the original soap opera was um, Guide and Light. And um, I don't know, my aunt was just into it. And as a result, um, apparently it went off air and was it 2009 already? Has it been that long? But it was on from 1952. So in the 80s, it was still on for a really long time. I kind of feel like Guide and Light might've been the longest running um, soap opera. But yeah, my aunt um, was really into it. And so, you know, I would come home from school and you know she'd have it on anyway and it was just the perfect time that I would come on and so I would get home and I'd have my little cookies or whatever snack was available peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or whatever and um you know yeah that was that was the thing to sit down with her and watch I cannot believe that it's been off air since 2009 really hmm so they had some really interesting storylines and stuff as well. I can't seem to really remember anybody, like their character names and days or lies right now, or on Guide and Light right now, but um, that was the thing, yeah. Hmm. So um, good morning, Diana, how are you? Chantal is here, good morning to you, good morning, Tracy. I uh, can't wait for Kevin's show tonight. Yes, yes, yes. Make sure y'all get lined up for Kevin's show. It's going to be a good one. Diabetes and COVID, folks. Um, you don't want to miss this one. Dr. Kumar will be joining um, Kevin. Now, let me tell you what. Dr. Kumar is, um, you know, very, very knowledgeable. I didn't know that there was such a thing as um, a, what's what's the correct word? Diabetologist. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a tongue twister. And um, diabetologist and general practitioner over Total Health. But he's going to be joining Kevin this evening talking about, um, you know, if you're diabetic, if you're pre-diabetic, which a lot of people are, uh, you want to pay very, very close attention to this evening's show. So Aliano's got it locked in. Hola. Um, Magdalene is here. Thank you for tagging Suzette. Uh, Malis is also here. She says Travel Command Portal was supposed to be updated last night. To show phase four coming, still nothing. Ooh, yay, yay. Johan, good morning. What time does the interview the premiere starts? It's going to be starting in two seconds. Just saying good morning to everyone. Good morning, Loriana. Uh, by the way, Johan, um, oh, you did say good morning. I was going to say, I know your mama taught you better than that. <laughs> Marlena, morning. Anne Marie is here. Chantel, Sue says, had her booster shots yesterday. Savannah MP office, so busy with lots of people. And it was very busy because, in fact, um, I drove by. Funny enough, somebody called me. And they said, what's going on at, this, at the Savannah office? 
Um, and I said, well, let me um, think about it for a second. And then I remember that they um, were having the regional uh, booster or COVID clinic basically available. And yes, folks, there were tons of people, like the line was outside down the fence sort of thing. Um, I was really, really happy to see so many people turn out because, you know, that's just a, a wonderful sign that people are finally, um, I don't think a lot of people have listening, we're almost 80%. People are taking the vaccination extremely um, seriously. And, um, you know, that's, that's good news, I think, for everyone, to be quite frank and honest. And the more the community spread occurs, the more seriously people are taking it. So, Sue, I'm so happy that you were able to get your, your vaccine shot sorted out. I'm going to just pull up a quick picture in case you missed it on our page. And someone sent me a private message yesterday. said, Sandy, thank you so much for all that you have done as it relates to encouraging people to get vaccinated. Um, you know, that they really appreciated that. So you're most welcome. So here's what was happening at the Savannah office yesterday. Look at that. The line was, and people were just patiently waiting. They had on their mask. You know, I'm assuming everybody got through. I, I don't know if the premier knows how many people actually got vaccinated yesterday at that office, how many shots were um, dispersed, but we can certainly ask him that as well this morning. So I know you guys have lots and lots of questions for him. So we're going to bring him on. Um, good morning to everyone. If I neglected to say good morning, good morning, Kathleen. Luisa's here, Brandy. Um, thank you all for tuning in. So Irvlin used to enjoy Falcon Crest. Yeah, what channel was that on? Um, I've heard of it, but I never really watched it. Santa Barbara says Suzette was her show. Uh, Morning King joining us in the UK. He says, I'm listening in today. Vernita's here. Um, Sue says the USA is open out to everyone who's had their vaccines. They can go, and they certainly are as of yesterday. Morning, Miss Rita. All right, so let's bring the premier in. Good morning, Premier Panton. How are you? I'm fine, Sandra. Good morning to you. Good morning to all your listeners. And it's a pleasure to, to be able to talk to everyone in our wonderful Cayman Islands. Of course, I am still in quarantine, so you might see a little bit of a quarantine shadow going on right here. So apologies, <laughs> apologies for that. Um, you got you to get one of these filters that I put on these days. Every day. You yeah, I don't, I, don't have a make, <clears throat> I don't have a makeup crew or anything going on around here, so yeah, it's just exactly. neat. <laughs> So where are you actually quarantining? Are you quarantining at home in a separate section of your home or? No, I'm, I'm quarantining somewhere else. Okay. Um, yeah, no worries. Um, so, you know, a lot of people have been talking about the difficulties sometimes of even trying to find a quarantine facility if they have to travel. So, yeah, there we go. All right. So Charlene says, good morning, Honorable Premier. Blessed day to you. Good morning, Good morning to Sonia. So we have tons of questions, uh, Q&A segment with the premiere this morning, and we were fielding questions even in advance of the program. So we've got tons of those. So we'll just do it like quick fire, pop up, you know, ask the questions because sure. we've got lots of those. So folks, again, uh, you're watching a segment this morning with the Honorable Premier Wayne Panton. He has um, agreed to come on. We're gonna, I think we're going to try maybe twice a month with a Q&A segment with yeah. the premier, and then we'll see how that goes. Um, so first of all, uh, congratulations on your trip to Scotland. Um, I received some video footage yesterday. I haven't had a chance to play it as yet, but someone just recorded it off their phone. And they were saying that the BBC did a special, um, you know, segment on how the global warming, the impact of global warming will actually um, have a negative impact on um, the Caribbean in particular. So 
this person messaged me and said, oh, on bad news, I was trying to find you for, I was trying to find for you the interview in the BBC News this morning um, in Glasgow with Dr. Colin Young, who is at the COP, um, who's there on behalf of the Caribbean. He said that the conference did not go too well for the Caribbean last week. Basically, we're screwed if things don't change climate-wise. And they were asking if I had seen it. And so they actually sent it to me. We can play that a bit later on, folks. But the position, I think, worldwide is pretty precarious. And the Caribbean in particular, because um, of you know ocean levels and so on, we, we, we're going to have a tough time. Uh, what was your take on the conference? I know you were there for the initial stages of it. So apparently it goes on for, is it two weeks? Two weeks, um, yes. And then the rest <laughs> it of ends it on Saturday. planning? Ends on Saturday. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, I went to the first um, three days of it. Um, I decided I would... Originally, the plan was, was to go for... Um, a week because we had on Saturday we had um, the um, Nature Day and we had some of our wonderful Cayman Islands representatives um, and, and and in particular Deja Lyons who was speaking so well on the on the panel um, representing Cayman. But I really decided it was too. There were too many things for me to do here. Um, I couldn't really afford to be away for that length of time. So um, I decided to do the first three days. Um, that's when, you know, you have you have most of the world leaders and the Commonwealth leaders and stuff um, who are there. And you get all the opening, um, the opening segment. So that was, that was excellent. Um, there are, you know, lots of different groups that are re representing um, the issues across the world. Um, and there was a big, very big Caribbean contingent. Um, we had a lot of people from a lot of the leaders from CARICOM. Um, uh, we had some, we have representatives from other overseas territories. I think I was the only premier there um, representing the overseas territories. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> I think, you know, the, the, the difficulty is that um, in, in, in another two weeks, we have, we're supposed to have the joint ministerial council meetings with the UK and all the overseas territories. Um, so it was, it would be very difficult to go for a week or two weeks um, and then come back and then go again, or just stay. If, 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 if I stayed, I would be gone a total of, of three weeks and that just wasn't going to work for me. Um, there are just too many things going on. You know, with the reopening, um, the lifting of quarantine on the twentieth, um, and all the other issues that we have locally that we have to deal with, mm -hmm. uh, I decided there was there was no way I could justify <clears throat> spending that amount of time out. So I will be at this point. I'm planning to participate in JMC virtually, mm -hmm. um, and I went to went to do a few days of COP, um, but it it was very inspiring to have so many young people there representing um, their various countries. Certainly for, for us, um, we have a significant contingent of young people in at COP um, representing Cayman. And they're there speaking out and they are expressing their concerns and their views. And they're basically demanding that the world do something to protect their future. Um, and that to me, that is, um, that is very good for Cayman, very good for the Caribbean. Um, and it's very heartwarming to see 
young people being engaged and speaking with such passion on on issues that I care about because um, you know I'm, I'm I'm here not because of, of any interest of my own other than um, trying to basically make sure that my generation leaves a legacy behind which serves the interests of um, our children and their children and so mm -hmm. on. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, <clears throat> I think it's a precarious situation and probably a lot of people are wondering like, what can they do on an individual level? So maybe another day we can kind of do a specific Q and A for, um, yeah. environment here in the Cayman islands, but, um, you got a little bit of criticism. And of course we do want to ask you about this for a photo that was in circulation where it appeared that, um, all the world leaders in that photo were not wearing their masks. Can you address that for the benefit? of anyone who is really um, concerned. People are like, oh, well, obviously there's a different standard <clears throat> for world leaders. Um, tell us a little bit about that photo moment. So that that photo was at an event which um, Prince Charles was hosting. Um, he It's called his um, Terra Carta event, um, which mm -hmm. is basically an award uh, program that he does supporting um, all the, the major companies in the world that are committing to um, committing to uh, zero carbon emissions by a certain date, uh, committing to uh, pushing sustainability across all of their operations. So, in the photo you have you have there, um, for example, in the immediate background between us is Brian Moynihan from um, he's the CEO of, of um, Bank of America mm -hmm. uh, in the U.S. Um, so it really wasn't a world leaders meeting. It was, yeah. it was mainly a meeting of um, many of the the leaders and CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the world that are participating in this program. Uh -huh. um, so you know, Lloyd's and State Street and many other financial services companies were there. Um, and why are we not wearing masks? Well, we're you know we were required to do PCR tests. Um, every couple of days, I certainly had had one, I think the day before this photo, um, every single day you had to do lateral flow tests and register those, um, with the NHS. Um, so a lot of steps were taken to make sure that everybody was, um, was not infected, was virus free. Um, so you know, there was a lot going on there and there's a lot, a lot of steps being taken to protect the, the safety and health of people. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that particular event was inside an old cathedral, mm -hmm. which I'm guessing the ceiling was probably about 70 to 80 feet high. The room was about 100 feet by by maybe about 70 or 80 feet. Um, and there was about maybe 100 people in there. So effectively, it was almost as 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 good as being outside. Um, so given the combination of things, um, the short duration of the event and the, you know, the fact that we've all, we, we were all tested um, frequently, um, I think that's significantly um, or perhaps all but eliminated the risk of anybody being, being sick. Um, and otherwise you were wearing a mask. Absolutely. Everywhere else, all the other COP events, um, you wear, you know, you're wearing a mask. That was one of the few occasions where I didn't wear a mask for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when I say short, literally it was, I, I don't even think it was 15 minutes. Um, so that was, that was a rare situation. 
um, all the other events, you're wearing masks. And you, the only time you take your mask off if, is, is when you're going to speak. <clears throat> I think we would have seen some of the world leaders. Um, let's say I know a lot of people watched and remember um, David Attenborough um, and Mia Motley during their their opening um, presentations. You would have seen them taking their masks off when they go up to speak and stuff. So everybody was wearing their masks. You get it's it's strange how you get very good at identifying people. Um, who, who are walking around with different types of masks on and, and um, you know, otherwise disguised. But, um, yeah, that, that that was not something which reflected, you know, some sort of um, risk-taking or, or some sort of privileged position. Trust me, we were all heavily, heavily tested, and that was a short duration, and it was in, in circumstances where, it was next to being outside, to be to be frank. Mm -hmm. All right, so <clears throat> we have a slew of questions. I'm gonna ask our live audience um, to bear with us as we go through some questions that were sent in advance, and then we'll get to some of your um, live questions as well. So um, I'm just sort of tracking back to um, question number one. This person says, hi, Sandy, can you ask Wayne tomorrow on your show if the policy regarding minors having to quarantine will change? The government is requiring quarantine for ages four to 11 and the vaccine is not available to them. So that's a bit unfair, I think. So let me pause there. So there's, you know, we, we've had this discussion um, quite a bit, you know, about balancing um, risk versus the, the interest of having young people um, and, and children basically track the, um, the vaccine status of their parents. Um, in principle, it was something that we, we considered uh, going with. But after having discussions with the, the medical advisors, um, and in particular, the, the CMO, and, and taking into consideration our current circumstances with the, the level of transmission, local transmission that has been occurring, I think the conclusion really was that we shouldn't at this point elevate the level of risk by allowing unvaccinated um, children to come in. Now, I know that there will be a lot of arguments back and forth about that. Um, you know, you might have a six-month-old or a one-month uh uh, sorry, a one-year-old, for example, who isn't going to pre present a significant risk um, because they're in the arms of their parents most of the time. But we also do have, you know, how, how, how do you say you, you can bring in a one-year-old but um, or how, allow a one-year-old to come in with the parents, but you can't allow a five-year-old? It becomes difficult to distinguish. The five-year-old up to the 10-year-old, 11-year-old, um, who can't get vaccinated, those, those children, while they're extremely resilient, they're also very, very, um, very strong vectors. They're, they're able to, to get infected easily and to spread it very easily. Mm -hmm. um, so those, those are, that's where the concern arose. You will recall that um, the first major outbreak that we had in terms of community transmission would have been in the Georgetown Primary School. And the vast majority of the the, um, the those individuals who are who are showing up as positive there were children, and you know what was interesting about that was that um, 
in some cases where classes had a lot of positives, the, the teachers themselves um, weren't, weren't infected, um, but a lot of the children were. So it, it really is a good example of how effective children are at, at, um, commun at generating community spread. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they, the strong, the strong um, medical advice at this time um, was not to elevate the level of, of risk, not to add um, an additional um, risk factor into the current equation where we do have um, some significant community spread. And, and frankly, I mean, I am, I'm concerned about the level of community spread we have. I'm concerned that it seems to me that um, so, some people at least are not taking the, the, the right precautions. They don't seem to be taking things that seriously. Um, and I can tell you that, you know, every, I watch, the one thing I watch specifically every single day is the number of admissions to hospital. Um, and that, while, while the current number um, and, and our experience has been that it is, the, the number of hospitalizations has been a lot lower than what you would typically expect for the amount of community spread that we have. Um, and I think that is clearly because of the benefit of the vaccine or the vaccines. Um, we, we, we must control the level of community spread that we have. We need people to be, um, to adhere to the, the safety protocols, to adhere to the necessary, um, you know, standards, mask wearing, social distancing, uh -huh. um, sanitizing of hands, etc. Um, so that we, we can reduce the level of community spread. Because the more community spread we have, the higher the risk, um, the greater the possibility that we have more people getting very sick um, and ending up in hospital. And I can tell you the, the first time we have someone die again from this is going to be an excruciatingly painful event. And nobody wants to see that, but that is, um, that's a that's quite a high possibility um, if we don't control this. Um, the, the reality is that somewhere around 75 to 80%, sometimes a bit higher, um, of all people who are in hospital because of COVID um, symptoms are unvaccinated. And this virus is something which will continue to seek out those people who are unvaccinated and those people who have um, ha have comorbidities, mm -hmm. and and it will find it will find the right combination at some point. Unfortunately, um, where we have uh, someone who is unvaccinated, um, probably not necessarily though, um, because it can happen to people who are vaccinated. I mean, that's the reality. But the, the reality also is that the vast vast majority of people are who are in hospital are unvaccinated and we've got to control the level of um of local transmission that we have i my person personally i want to try to reduce it by half um and that may mean we need to we need to be tightening up on some of the 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 controls in order to achieve this because i mean it was one day um i think it was last week i i looked at the numbers for black for, ex for example and Mm -hmm. uh, there was there was like four percent of the population of the BRAC that day um, 
who were found to be positive. And I found that just astonishing. Um, and that, you know, the, the sister islands introduce a whole additional element of concern because of the um, limited degree to which they have medical services there. Thank you so much for, um, for that response. So I guess the next logical question on from that is if we're trying to control the transmission levels, would you admit that public health is having a difficult time? Because we've got numerous complaints from individuals about the fact that they're unable to um, even get just a check-in phone call from public health, from travel came out from anyone. And so uh, what we found, you know, through our own um, investigations and just people outing other people, in fact, is that a lot of those um, individuals who knew they were positive were out and about. They were hanging out at bars. They were going to the grocery store. They were going to work. Um, so what will be done to ensure that those individuals isolate or stay home? Are we still looking at penalizing mm -hmm. them? Are we going to be hiring more staff and travel came in and public health? Like what's the actual plan to, to help to squash the numbers a little bit? Well, I mean, the first thing I want to say is I want to, I want to plead with people. I want to implore people to be responsible, to um, isolate when you know you're positive and to remain isolated. Um, I, I am in quarantine and I have not, I've been outside, uh, I've been about 10 feet maximum away from the door um, the whole time. I, you know, I would, I would, I would venture to say that there are people who are breaching. This is, and I think this is where we got started with community transmission. Um, and this is, I think, a reflection of where we're continuing with this problem where people are not adhering to the requirements. Um, I have had just yes, day before yesterday, I was receiving telephone calls. And then yesterday I received one or two telephone calls as well, advising of people who were known to be positive, who were out. And, you know, I made some calls um, to try to get that under control. Um, yes, I think it is, it is partly because um, public health is challenged by the number of, of people who are who are involved and who are coming up as positive. Um, we this is an issue that we 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 became acutely aware of um, since the um, since the since the community outbreak started in early September, mm -hmm. and this is an issue that. Every time we have a meeting with the program board, um, this is this is raised and emphasized. Um, of course, we get as representatives, we get a lot of the phone calls, we get a lot of the messages, and you will know yourself, Sandy, that I telephone people myself. I will follow up with people who have who have issues or who have complaints about not having um, heard from from public health. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it is legitimate sometimes public health will put their hand up and say yes um we are um we are stressed we have a lot going on um and this is our mistake and we will we will rectify it um sometimes there are there are other things that mean and that public health weren't aware um that the individual was was positive 
and that in itself is a is a problem that we have to rectify as well. Mm -hmm. um, if you know, there were two occasions where the uh, the individuals were tested by other centers, and for some reason, and I don't know whether I don't know where the communication broke down. Um, that's something that they they have been working on, but for some reason, the they these individuals didn't appear on the radar for. Um, public health and you know as I said that's a concern in itself but it explains why public health might not have been responsive uh -huh. um, they just weren't aware but yes um, public health has had a lot of people being added they've, they've added a lot of different staff they've brought in people from other areas certain certain um, functions that public health were were carrying carrying out have been shifted over um, to other areas like the the, the phone center um, but they are they're continuing to work on that they're continuing to try to improve those those scenarios but of course at the same time we have um, had over this period of time we've had growing levels of community transmission and that that doesn't help when you're um, trying to build in the capacity and trying to address the the issues of communication um, and having added um, pressure because of the, you know, substantial <laughs> workloads. So I, I, I am very, very sympathetic to the, the folks who have had difficulties um, getting through on the on the flu hotline or getting in touch with with um, someone from public health. Um, but it is, I can promise you that every single day and every time I've seen it, I personally get involved um, and. I push this issue to try to get it resolved so that the the people of the, of, of the country who are um, unfortunately um, involved in this, whether they're whether they're contacts or whether they're they're positives themselves, um, you know, we try to we try to get the, the issue resolved and try to get the service necessary um, to make it as easy as possible um, for them. I mean, it's yeah. it's a very stressful situation. Um, and it is very impactful in relation to families, uh, particularly those families that end up having to, to you know, if isolate for a period of time with them, with their family members. And that's where, you know, the lateral flow tests um, come in um, because if you, are, if you are fully vaccinated and you're not found to be positive, even if you are in a, in a household with a positive, you can go out and go to work um, or young, our children under 18 can go to school provided they're not found to be positive and they're doing lateral flow tests every single day. Mm -hmm. um, my switching subjects very slightly, um, my major concern with lateral flow tests at this point is the, the costs that are being um, pushed onto the public is way too high in my from my perspective mm -hmm. i want to see i want to see the cost come down and this to me this is a this is an essential essential product um it is we're in a time where we're we're battling a pandemic um and i want i want the people of the country to not have to bleed through the nose um to be able to acquire these these products in order for them to continue with some sem semblance of normality and be able to go and earn, earn a living or go to school, um, 
it's just it's that I've seen prices up to ten dollars for a lateral flow test. You know, I am I am from somewhat familiar with the the pricing of of um of these products, um, not just here but overseas. Um, you know, I've had to buy some in the in the UK as well. So I know what I know generally what the pricing looks like. And if they if people were charging five dollars or six dollars, um, and let me let me just say that some are, um, I'd be happy with that. But when I see the prices at around eight or nine dollars or ten dollars, um, even you know higher than seven dollars, that's when I have a real problem. And I feel that the 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 those people that are entrepreneurs, those people that are retailers, um, I have I support them 100% in being able to access these lateral flow tests um, and and make them available to the public. But you don't have to to you know make a killing on this. Uh, yes, you 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 are entitled to earn a profit to reflect the level of risk you take and and to encourage you to go ahead and involve yourself in that sort of thing. But um, when these tests, when these tests are costing two or three dollars um, wholesale and you're charging, um, you know, two or three times that, I don't think that's right. And especially more than more than twice that amount. I'm I am very bothered with that. And I can tell you that if this sort of thing continues, government will take some sort of action in relation to it. And yeah. let me let me remind the public that government very specifically um, removed the duty on lateral flow tests in order to minimize the impact yeah. on the people of the country. Because this is we regard this as an absolutely essential product. Mm-hmm. And you know, having removed the duty, it is it is really upsetting in, in to, to see people being charged exorbitant amounts of money for what is otherwise an, a very essential product and something that helps to contribute to the working of our, of our safe working of our society um, and the health, the public health generally and the health of, of individual families. And I'm not happy at all that people are charging significantly higher prices just to make money on this because they know it's an essential product and everybody needs to to be able to, or a lot of people need to be able to access them. Mm-hmm. So we do have a watcher who says that in the U.S. the price is about ten dollars U.S. Usually comes in a pack of two for about twenty dollars. Uh, someone else has a suggestion. How about allowing the general public to import their own? So is well, there anything the, stopping the U.S. The U.S. is fine. I don't. I am not. I don't care what the U.S. are doing. I'm talking about Cayman. Yeah. I mean, okay. The, the the U.S. I don't know what their position is. I do know that they seem to use lateral flow tests a lot less. They seem to be um, more reliant on PCR testing. Um, but I am talking about Cayman. Like I said, I know, I know in general what the, um, what the, what the costs are for different volumes of, of these things. And I just, I just, I think people need to, bear in mind that these are essential products that help, as I said, help to contribute to the greater good, to the public health and to individual families help, help. And having to take a lateral flow, if you have to take a $10 lateral flow test for two or three family members every day, you know, that's the equivalent of, of people not having 
um, perhaps the ability to buy lunch. Hmm. I'm just not I'm just not happy with those kinds with that kind of pricing. Right. And what is the government doing then, um, Premier Panton, to bring in lateral flow tests? I know the government had an initial um, shipment to provide to particularly um, school children. Are we expecting another shipment in due course? Because pretty much everyone on island has ran out from what I understand. So what is the current position of the government getting their own supply that can help at least with school children um, to have some yeah. access? Well, government has been procuring certain supplies. Um, and at the moment, um, there, the, the government has ordered some significant volumes of, of supplies for for the schools in particular. Um, I think the HSA has ordered uh, as a significant supply. I either, that has either been delivered or is on order. Um, so we, we have, the education ministry has um, supplies to be able to utilize in the schools, but we obviously have to increase um, the, the volume of these orders. And one of the benefits of, of doing a very significant high volume order is that you get the benefits of a volume discount. Uh -huh. And that to me, um, being able to participate in that um, and to be able to reduce the overall cost and therefore, ultimately, hopefully, the retail pricing on these things um, will will have a significant benefit across the board. We have, I think, one of the problems we've had is people have been have been doing orders, you know, 30, 40, 50,000. Um, so they're not getting the the volume discounts, and also they are having to um, they're having to air freight them in, like on passenger flights, um, in order to get them to get them in time. And that is that is going to significantly increase your costs as well. But as I said, I'm I'm generally familiar with the overall cost of these those scenarios as well. And I still don't believe that it justifies some of the pricing that I have seen. And I'm, I'm again I implore as, as much as I'm asking the people of the country to adhere to the, the, the public health protocols and to try to ensure that they um, protect themselves and, and protect their families and those that they associate with. I am also imploring the businesses in this com this country who are um, selling and making available lateral flow tests. I congratulate them for that. Um, but please bear in mind that you are you know the, these these are these are essential items, and you cannot expect. To make a killing off the backs of the people of this country who are already suffering um, from from 18 months of of having um, or more than 18 months now of of having you know a lockdown and, and the impact of um, no tourism and all that sort of stuff it is it is unconscionable and I want people to bear that in mind mm -hmm. I don't mind them making a reasonable profit at all but bear it in mind this is not something this is not a flash in the pan thing. You don't have to to make a ton of money on this just today because it's going to be these these things are going to be around for a while. We're going to be utilizing these for in the in the medium to longer term to help families and help people in the country. So I, I implore the retailers, obviously the wholesalers, um, the same applies to them. But I think it's more the retailers that. Um, you know that I think need to look carefully 
at what they're pricing these things at because it is having a very serious impact on families. And to your point earlier about um, people um, ordering their own, yes, I what I have observed is families um, and, and community groups have been talking to each other, getting together, trying to aggregate orders so that they can try to get um, the benefit of of volume discounts and and getting um you know getting more wholesale pricing and i i i support that um i am i have been personally trying to get a a significant order as well together so that you know they can be made available to people um who really need them i know mm -hmm. families i know families who cannot afford to be paying you know seven eight nine ten dollars um for a lateral flow test for four or five family members every day and i want I, you know i want to be in a position where i can help those people yeah okay all right so um folks let's see how many of your questions we can get through wee wee's asking about the vaccine for kids being available the short answer i can answer that is no it's not here yet um i think there was a press release that came out i want to say on friday wee wee that addressed that so, um, you know, basically we have to wait on the UK to make that decision and then it could become available here. So Correct. Natalie um, says, please, can the quarantine period for unvaccinated children return to Cayman be reduced? I think this has been asked and answered. Um, and she mentions lateral flow testing. Good morning to Rachel. Her question is, is there legislation covering what happens if people refuse to take a self-test or PCR test before attending work or school? Um at the moment it is you, you you know we don't have we don't have legislation which mandates um this sort of thing but it is it is within the broader um national um lateral flow test policy of mm -hmm. the government that has been issued and if necessary we will we will put it in legislation to mandate it um, in fact, we are we are working on additional regs right now, um, which will provide a, um, a stronger framework in respect of this. Um, but you know, the, the concern is the concern really is around people who, um, for example, take a lateral flow test. It indicates that they're positive, and they decide not to self-report. Um, the, the reality is that is an offense. Um, under the public health law, you have a positive obligation to report um, what is otherwise regarded as a communicable disease um, if you are if, if you have a positive test. Um, and so, you know, they they are legally required to report that um, to public health. And if I know there are people who may be tempted um, to avoid, you know, having to do isolation or to avoid um, having you know, the impacts of not going to work that that is not worth it because the people that you impact otherwise um you need to think about them you need to think about your friends and your work colleagues um the government has programs in place to help people um we help we help with 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 food we help make sure that you you know your groceries can be taken care of um, that assistance that you need to get medication is is, is taken care of. Um, we have programs which help businesses. We have programs which provide stipends for those people who 
um, are negatively impacted by their inability to work. So it, it is it is unacceptable for someone to know that they're positive and to continue going about their daily life because all that does is end up spreading it further and causing greater potential harm to other people. Yes. Now, as I've said, we are one of the reasons that I, I, I have fought so hard to get us to where we are with our vaccine distribution is that I firmly believe that it does significantly help us. The evidence so far aligns with that completely. We do not have a lot of people um, relative to the level of community transmission. We do not have a lot of people in hospital. I don't have the numbers just yet for today, um, but I can tell you that the last numbers I had, um, well, hold on, I might, yes, I do actually have it. Uh, so we have, let's see, we have um, 14, 14 people in hospital. Um, in total, 11 of those are unvaccinated. Wow. So it shows you the, it shows you the, you know, the comparison. 11 of the people, 11 of the 14 are unvaccinated. Um, we have five who are on supplemental oxygen, just meaning they need some additional um, oxygen provided. They're not, there's nobody who is ventilated. Um, I think those are those are probably the um, the relevant numbers at this point, um, but I, I think that that tells us, you know, it makes and emphasizes the point that I'm making, um, mm -hmm. that um, the vaccines are working. So that's you know that's nearly eighty percent, um, nearly seventy nine percent of the people who are in hospital are unvaccinated. Now, that, that aligns with what we've been saying all along. The vaccines work. The vaccines mm -hmm. do not guarantee that you cannot get COVID, but it limits your opportunity. It, it, provides, um, a, it provides a significant degree of protection against infection, but it is not a guarantee, right? Okay. So where it really does help, is it significantly reduces hospitalization and it significantly reduces the possibility that you may be sick enough that your health, your life rather, is at risk. Um, and that is one of the reasons that we have fought so hard and gotten down on our knees practically to beg the people of the country to take uh, uh, the vaccines that have been made available to us. Um, that's why we are we are we are now over eighty percent um, of our of our population that have been vaccinated. We are now over eighty percent, um, and that is that is an incredible achievement. And I say that in the context of that's eighty percent of the seventy one thousand one hundred six number that we have been using as a revised population number. Um, now that that tells me that we have a very we have an excellent vaccination record and mm -hmm. that that to me is really um what is underscoring um our significantly lower level of hospitalizations compared to 
um, what you would st statistically normally expect for the level of community transmission that we have. Okay. Um, we have someone who noted that we rely on the honor system for people to self-report and people need to act responsibly. I totally um, agree. Yep. Uh, Ms. Charlene says a dedicated premier, not just seeking accolades and being self-righteous, just love our current premier. Uh, Ms. Carol, I think that Carol's question has already been answered in relation to lateral flow pricing and uh, school availability. Cameron, good morning, says, why aren't the travelers doing PCR tests instead of lateral flow tests? Because they are not accurate. Well, travelers are doing PCR tests. Um, I think what, the, what Cameron may be um, addressing is that some jurisdictions do allow um, lateral flow tests to be taken instead of PCR tests for travel purposes. And what that, ref that, that typically we, we do PCR tests. That's typically what we do here. But there are times when perhaps there's a very, very significant volume of testing going on and then usually high volume of testing going on. And, and I think, I think it's happened only rarely where they've, they've had to default to um, lateral flow tests um, being administered. <clears throat> and I think there was, it was recently reported to me that there was an issue with Cayman Airways saying they weren't accepting lateral flow tests. Um, the U.S., in fact, accepts lateral flow tests. And I think Cayman Airways' position has now been adopted, uh, changed to adopt the U.S. position that if a lateral flow test, if you can get a certified um, or a certificate of negativity um, from a lateral flow test from, from a health administrator, um, then that counts in the same way um, as a PCR test, a negative PCR test. Not all countries accept it. The U.S., I understand, are accepting that. Um, but obviously, I think the preferred approach would be um, a PCR test. Is a PCR test more accurate? Yes, it is. Um, but is a, is a lateral flow test um, fairly accurate? Yes, they are. The, the, the accuracy of these tests have gone up very, very significantly. Um, I know they've, you know, the, the numbers that they, the particular uh, manufacturer that, that is utilized most here is, is Acon or um, Flowflex is, a, um, is the brand name. And those, those ones are, no, are claimed to be somewhere around 96 to 98% accurate. Mm -hmm. um, can they, can you, can you get a, a false positive or a false negative? Yes, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're not 100%. Um, very, very few things really give you 100%. And even with PCR tests, you know, you can get, you can get variations where people have to um, utilize their professional judgment. Um, you know, if you, you know, if you have, if you have PCR tests with, uh, CT value, which is like, you know, 35 or more, then, you know, the, the, the health authorities would, would likely say that person doesn't represent um, a risk um, to anybody and is should be regarded perhaps as just about or, or treated as if they're negative. Hmm. Okay. All right, folks. Um, once again, those of you who are joining us a little bit late, there's 433 of you now online. 
We are obviously um, doing questions uh, to the premier this morning, so get your questions ready. I'm going to try to go through as many of them as possible, but we do have to take a, a brief commercial break. So first of all, um, let us be reminded that the census 2021 is ongoing. Uh, the census is a really, really important exercise yeah. that happens about every 10 years, and we're hoping that all of you are participating in the census. So let's not forget that when they come knocking, uh, you don't necessarily have to invite them in, but still participate in the census. Yes. You can do it at the front door. You can sit on the front porch. You can safely social distance, but just uh, participate and give them the information they're asking for. Beginning the 10th of October, residents across the Cayman Islands will be invited to participate in the 2021 census. What is the census? Simply put, the census is a headcount of every person living in the Cayman Islands. The population count and data are protected and authorized by the Statistics Act. The information is confidential and cannot be shared with any law enforcement agencies. Your response helps guide business, social, and economic planning for the future of our islands. The 2021 Census will inform decisions on how millions of dollars are allocated for roads, schools, hospitals and healthcare clinics, fire, emergency response services, and other programs. Census enumerators will visit your household, ask a few questions like how many people live in your house, including their age and sex. Every person counts, no matter who you are or where you live. So have your say in the 2021 census. All right, folks, so have your say in the 2021 census. Again, uh, lots of uh, important information coming out of the census that the census is attempting to ascertain. Yes. And some of y'all were like, why is the census in my business? Um, Premier, if you could encourage people to participate in the census, what would Absolutely. you say about that exercise? Absolutely. Um, it is it is essential for us. If people want the government to be in a position to have the best information um, and, and making, um, making policies, making decisions, which best reflect and is as effective as possible for the benefit of the people of the country we need data we need information in order to do this we need to know what the population numbers are we need to know you know the the, the composition um what jobs exist you know what what, what roles people are performing um who is unemployed um who is going to school we need we need a, a broad amount of information in order to have the data to best reflect the most positive decisions and to be as informed as possible when we're considering any any decision making any initiative any policy um for the the people of the country um so i encourage people to to participate you do not have to be um afraid obviously you you know the, oh, as far as I'm aware, all of those individuals who are participating are vaccinated. Um, all the, the census takers and numerators are, are vaccinated. Um, but you can you you don't have to invite the people in and, and sit two feet away from them um, and, and reach over and help to complete the, the form. They, they are very good at maintaining social distance, wearing masks, um, and, and being able to, you know, just have a chat with people to get the information that they need. Um, I have heard, I've seen comments on some community chat groups about I'm not letting them in and I'm not engaging. 
I'm not, I don't want to tell them my business, whatever. This, this is a wrong approach. We're all in this together. We, we live in a country in particular that we don't, we can't drive somewhere to, to some other city to get a service. We can't, um, you know, we've got to get on a plane to go somewhere and we can't get, we, we can't get services and goods in as quickly as, as um, other places can. You can't just go to the nearest big city and get what they have there and bring it in here um, very easily. So Cayman has its logistical challenges. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's the price of and the reality of living in, in our paradise. Um, and we need the government um, and those agencies and bodies that, that work within government and are part of the core civil service and wider public service. They need information. The policymakers need information in order to best make decisions, which, which add to the collective good, to the collective benefit of the people of the country. So, folks, we are in this together. We are one country. Um, let's show some some love for each other. Let let's show some responsibility and and our willingness to contribute to the collective good by participating in this. I mean, let me give you an example. Um, one of the discussions that 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 we've had um, that I had with some public health folks um, a couple of weeks ago was along the lines of the population number. Um, now, I I don't know exactly what the population is, but I can tell you I have always felt that the assumed population number when I came into office of 65,000, um, 65, let's call it 65 and a half thousand. I've, I've always felt that that number wasn't correct. Mm -hmm. um, that it's that it's higher than that. Now, how much higher is it? I don't know. Um, we've we've been utilizing the seventy one thousand, and our our um, vaccination rate has exceeded eighty percent of that. Um, and I'm as I said, I'm very happy about that. There were many many people who said, you know, that's nonsense. You're never going to be able to achieve that. That's unrealistic. So why set that as a target? Well, we set it as a target, and we have achieved it. Um, but what if the population is instead of instead of being seventy one thousand, what if it's eighty thousand, and we don't know, right? Then you're, you're looking at you're looking at possibly sixty nine percent or seventy percent as your current vaccination rate. Um, and to be to be perfectly honest, that could have a significant impact if that if that mm -hmm. was the reality that could have a significant impact on what our reality becomes what are what the outcomes are for um you know community transmission that we have now and community transmission that we'll have in the future particularly um you know when we have increased numbers of of tourists i don't believe in our modeling shows that increased numbers of tourists this is, I think, an important thing as well for, for people um, who are concerned about the quarantine envelope being lifted. Uh, our modeling shows that we're not going to have um, significantly higher um, rates of, of um, sickness and hospitalization um, as a result of, of that, um, at least in the initial stages of it. Um, we, if, if we start getting in the region of, you know, 50, 60,000 people a month, um, coming in, um, then we'll probably see an uptick, 
um but if it's if it starts off in the you know the twenty thousand twenty five thousand a month range um i don't think we're going to see a noticeable uptick in the in the um the numbers of those people that were getting infected and and ending up in hospital and one of the reasons for that obviously is that our our, our requirement of of only ha only accepting tourists who are um who are fully vaccinated um is is going to be a safe approach a, a relatively safe approach to take um does it does it guarantee that people will not um be um not be positive at some point no it doesn't there is a risk to traveling um and people sometimes <clears throat> are careless in their approach i mean i i've recently traveled and i i believe me that's the first time i traveled since february 2020 so one of the things i i did quite a bit was you know was observe the way people are behaving um both in terms of how the authorities um, and how the regulators deal with with the people and passengers but also how people just in general were behaving mm -hmm. and you know most people were wearing masks most people were sanitizing their hands most people were being careful but mm -hmm. there's there quite a decent number of people as well who were just walking around um you know no mask on they, they're tired they're rubbing their eyes doing whatever um so you can see the potential, right? You can see the potential for people um, to get infected and, and, and to, to come in. But mm -hmm. the average tourist comes to Cayman for, I think statistically it's around 5.5 days. Mm -hmm. And given the, you know, given the, the um, incubation time, um, particularly with the Delta variant, which is somewhere around three, four, five days, um, you know, I think the chances are people will come and leave before um, before they develop and before they get get sick um, and, and before they become really infectious and came on. Um, but obviously, there there is not a, that's not a hundred percent guarantee, or certainly it's not from my perspective. It's not a hundred percent comfort in terms of the theory, um, but it does it does mean given that. You know, they're they're only on average here for for less than six days, just less than six days, or let's call it six days. Um, that there's going to be less of an opportunity for them to to get sick and end up in hospital here, and less of an opportunity for them to contribute to community um, transmission. So our our bigger threat is clearly uh, our own level of community transmission, our own actions. Um, I think there's another aspect that people need to be concerned about as well, um, or need to understand, let's say, which is, uh, there's two points I want to make. Number one, for tourists, they come and they, they're sort of in their own, typically in their own little bubble. They're at the beach, they're at the hotel, they'll go to restaurants, they'll go to Stingray City. Um, so it's, it's somewhat limited to what they get engaged with. The bigger, this, the other point I want to make is that the bigger the bigger threat for us as a um, society, as our Caymanian society, is ourselves. If we travel, um, and we have had a lot of people traveling. Uh -huh. um, I, I was having, you know, I remember months ago having people writing emails to me complaining about some process to do with Travel Cayman and saying, look, I know what I'm talking about because this is my fifth time 
um, quarantining. And I'm thinking to myself, fifth time quarantining? I haven't been off this island since February 2020, and you you're, you seem to be going and coming every few every month or two. Um, you know, so we've had a lot of people doing a lot of traveling, and people, our own residents, when they come home after having traveled, um, if they're not careful, if they're if if they've somehow gotten themselves exposed, guess what? They go to church, they go to um, parties, they go to the cinema, they go to the same restaurants as the tourists. Um, but they also go and look for mommy and daddy, for grandma and grandpa, um, and other community places, community gatherings. Um, so that is that risk of of us ourselves contributing. Um, to community spread significantly after having traveled um, exists, and that is one of the one of the um, comments from a, a colleague in the Turks and Caicos um, government was just that that they found that the one of the biggest risks that they've had, um, which contributed to their community spread, was from their own people tra- doing a lot of traveling um, for perhaps for unnecessary reasons, but. Whatever the case is, once we, you know, once the twentieth of November comes, um, you can travel for whatever reason. You know, there's right now we're, uh, well, I shouldn't say right now. As of September 9th, we we shifted away from the um, repatriation flights regime, and now we're effectively into the open skies arena. Um, but certainly that that becomes fully effective once we drop the the vaccine requirements, sorry, the quarantine requirements for vaccinated travelers um, uh, on the on the 20th. Um, and, you know, I'm, I, I want people in the country to be very conscious and very aware of that um, because they, they, they present um, a greater risk given the, the level of interaction with the broader community. Mm-hmm. Have, they present a greater risk if they manage to to get infected um, while they're traveling, so I would I would encourage people to be to be very vigilant, to be careful, um, and you know when after you've traveled, uh, when you come home, you know try to make sure that you you check yourself, use the lateral flow test, um, and ensure that you are you have a lower risk of being infected before you go around visiting um, everybody and and doing doing what you would normally do. And I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily waiting two weeks for that, but, um, you know, checking yourself occasionally um, for a week or a week and a half with lateral flow tests, for example, is is going to be helpful and a good indicator. Um, I mean, one of the one of the rules that are being um, implemented now will be a requirement for tourists um, to basically do lateral flow tests on the second day and the fifth day and the 10th day if they're if they're here that long mm-hmm. um, so even in relation to tourists we are asked and they're coming in as vaccinated tourists they've done a they've done a, a pre-flight pcr uh, negative test um we're still looking to them to do lateral flow tests um, for the for the time period that they're here so that we can sort of minimize the, the possibility that they may pop up as positive and and um, be in an infectious state um, to to pass it on and unfortunately contribute to community transmission. Mm-hmm. 
So this is this this requires all of us to work together, um, to care about each other, um, you know, and 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 to show that care and kind and that love for each other, um, so that the collective benefit, the collective good is is maximized. Okay. All right, we do have King making the following point in terms of the census, and we're going to get back to um, some of the other questions here. But since we were just on this point, I thought it was a great idea to read this comment. So King says that, um, oops, uh, when the census asks you about how many TVs you have, tell them it's part of how they calculate quality of life. If poor people ignore these questions, and of course the only persons complying are upper class folks, or higher earners, then the data will show that all is well and everyone is happy, yet NAU will sit there swamped. Um, it's a good point that King makes. I'm, I'm also, um, I must say, I was a little bit um, perplexed when someone said, well, why do they want to know how much money we're making? Like what salary range we're in? And I said, you do understand that you guys sit here all the time and you complain about, for example, minimum wage and the government needs to increase the minimum wage. When in fact, the government has no real data of how many people actually are impacted by the current minimum wage. So in other words, right. is that 5% of the population? Is that 10% of the population? Because you obviously need to treat that, oh, let's increase the minimum wage very, very differently if it impacts fewer people. Because increasing the minimum wage has a knock-on effect on the rest of the economy. And I keep saying this to it people. Yeah. You increase the minimum wage, prices and everything go up. You know, You don't increase the minimum wage in a bubble and nothing else happens except people make more money. Yep. So I really hope that um, we'll have, um, I think it's Dr. or Mr. Mustaf, Professor Mustaf back on the show, where he can kind of break down some of these things for us. But, you know, our people have to be willing to educate themselves and to learn a little bit and to understand um, what is happening around us. So I'm yep. just going to back up. I'm aware that I skipped over um, some questions. I want to thank King for that for that that comment though because it is very very helpful and for all the reasons that that you have uh, outlined um, there's there's no sense us fooling ourselves right we can't talk about Cayman being successful and being this this great utopia um, and a place where um, a lot of people um, are doing well when we know that we have a lot of people who are not. We've got to be realistic about it, and we've got to know what the picture is so that we understand the extent of the issue. We understand the extent of the inequality. We understand the extent of the disparity between those that have and those that have not. So the government can then probably, probably, I don't know what kind of word that is, properly calibrate, <laughs> <laughs> properly calibrate our, um, our level of support for the people in the country. And it is not just it's not just about being a nanny state too. It's about making sure that we have programs in place that help elevate people and help lift them and provide opportunities so that everybody starts to do better, not just certain people. You know, I am I am one thing I do not tolerate and I don't like at all is this situation mm -hmm. where certain people may may be okay, maybe doing well because they come from a privileged position. I don't want to see that at all. I want to see every Caymanian being privileged with opportunity to be able to do, to work and improve their position and and do for their families. And and we, the more information we have, mm -hmm. um, the the greater the reality will will be will be presented to us, and we know exactly, or we have a much better idea of what the challenge is and how much we need to employ um, 
uh, and what kinds of tactics and what kinds of initiatives and strategies need to be employed in order to better the lives of our people. We are here because we want to improve the, the lives of our people and we need information, good information in order to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. All right, so we have Cameron who's asking a number of questions. Um, this one says, happy for you, Premier. Glad that you had a dandy time. Uh, what are you doing about this outbreak? Why not lock down the island to control it? Um, there are numerous workplaces and schools, lock it down. So when people tell you, um, Premier Panton, to lock down the country, um, what is your response to that? Well, you lock it down and then what? You 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 reduce some of the you reduce some of the um the community transmission through a lockdown. Um and then you you reopen again and then it all starts up again listen we have last year when we had no options we had no vaccines we had no no medicine no therapeutics on the horizon no ma no magic pills that we could just take one a day for five days um and and, and reduce our, our risk of hospitalization and death by 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 um by 50 percent um yeah, lockdowns back then were the only thing you had going. Mm -hmm. Now we have we have pushed and we have achieved a high level of vaccination. I hope I hope that our census numbers at the end of the day don't demonstrate that that vaccination level is a lot lower than we anticipated. Um, but I think either way, we are seeing the benefit of it, um, and we are we have put in place measures to continue. Um, to, to improve our level of vaccination. Um, you know, the Biden administration in the U.S. have now um, put in place a requirement as of um, yesterday, was it? Yeah, yesterday. You have to be vaccinated, fully vaccinated in order to travel to the U.S. And I haven't met one person here yet that mm -hmm. that, that wouldn't go and get vaccinated to... Um, Go for a shopping trip. Go shopping, right? They need their retail therapy, so they'll take their medical therapy in order to do that. Um, uh, you know, yesterday was a good example. We had 300-plus people, um, I understand. I don't know the exact numbers. You mentioned it earlier. I don't know the exact numbers. I haven't had a report on it. But the line, several times, the line went from my Savannah office down to chill spot behind the gas station. Um, wow. So I want to I want to thank the people who were patient um, mm -hmm. and who, who waited in that line um, and and were there um, to to help contribute. Those there were people who were getting first shots, second shots, and booster shots. Um, mm -hmm. That was that was the largest number of people we've ever had there. Um, but anyway, my my point getting back to lockdowns is that that is only something that I think we should consider is if we are in an extreme situation where our um, our healthcare system mm -hmm. is is being overrun or mm -hmm. about to be overrun that it's only in that sort of scenario that i would that i would suggest and that i would countenance a lockdown now we've got a risk matrix um, um, and we you know level level 1 2 3 and 4 um, four is the deepest red we have, um, and that is that is where we consider factors like our healthcare capacity, um, 
has basically been exhausted and we can't handle anymore. We do not want to get in that situation. Mm -hmm. So with this, with this, um, this disease and this pandemic, you need to, you need to project and you need to say before you think, even, even before you have any evidence, if you just begin to have real concerns that you're going to be in that kind of situation, you need to start tightening up on the controls. You need to start doing it several weeks in advance in order for it to have the benefit, um, you know, three or four weeks later. So I can tell you that right now we're we're on a sort of borderline between level one and level two in terms of community transmission. Um, and we're we're looking at at sort of rationalizing some of the controls that are in place and in some cases a little bit tightening to ensure better um, better enforcement. Um, overall, you know, we're not at a position where we think we need to substantially ramp up the level of restrictions and, and Im implement additional significant levels of controls. But I promise you that this is something that the, certainly the, the, the health minister and myself and the rest of the government, we watch this every single day. And if we were in danger of, of getting to a point where our health system was going to be overrun, then and only then would the scenario of a lockdown um, mm -hmm. be considered as a temporary measure to to reduce the, the impacts on our health services. Um, but but generally, a lockdown is is not something that is anything but a but a temporary um, reprieve. Um, it, it was the only tool we had before, um, and the government. Um, last year successfully pursued a strategy of elimination and that was great um the difficulty was always going to be reopening because you can't stay locked down on a long-term basis and the difficulty was always going to be reopening the the hard part is is throwing all those balls up in the air and trying to juggle them all at the same time um while while we are maintaining controls and and dealing with um you know, pandemic circumstances. Um, so, you know, I, I know that there are people who are unhappy about this or that, um, but trust me, there are certain people who are equally um, happy about the same circumstances. And, um, you know, we're not, we're not going to make everybody happy all the time, but the one overriding thing is that we are trying to make sure that we control the, the pandemic circumstances and we maintain a level of safety and health as much as possible for people across the country and also and also we are very cognizant and we maintain our ability from a healthcare perspective to provide the level of services and to maintain the level of health of our people those are very very critical um, issues for us and as i said it's only where we were in very dire circumstances and there was a huge risk that we were going to implode in terms of our healthcare capability would we consider a lockdown and we would be taking action well before that appears to be the case. Mm -hmm. All right. We got tons of questions. So Ms. Sue says, um, why aren't the lateral flow uh, tests free as they are in the UK? And Ms. Sue, I was kind of curious about that. So I did have a look at what the UK is doing 
And what I found out is they do have um, some free kits available if you meet certain criteria. Right. So it's not free for everyone. And the note actually says, if you cannot get tests from your work, school, college, university, ask them first, basically, um, or try to buy your own, then uh, they will assist you with getting some free tests and you need to apply and go through this process. So it's not as though it's just free for every and anybody, I think. Um, right. And it reminds you here that a lateral flow test um, should be taken if you don't have symptoms of COVID-19. So just an right. FYI. Right. So if you're symptomatic, don't take um, a lateral flow test. Yeah. And these are bits and pieces of information. Can I say, because I didn't even realize that about being symptomatic. There's so much information out there, um, Premier Panton. And last week, Kevin and I were having this discussion. I think it was maybe Thursday's program about a, a bit of a breakdown in communication. So we feel, and I think the general public feels like there's a lot of information out there. Sometimes it's very hard to understand all the bits and pieces of the current lateral flow policy, the current isolation policy. Um, you know, we think government, being the civil service arm of government communications, needs to do a better job of disseminating some of this information onto the public. It's been over a week now that we've invited anybody from public health to come on the program, break it down for us, break down, you know, lateral flow policy, the isolation policy. Because right. sometimes people are breaching it, not necessarily intentionally, but they just don't know. And I feel there's so many questions like, Sandy, I've got a positive in my household. What should I do? And I'm trying to refer people to an 11 page document and a seven page document, knowing full well that the vast majority of people are not even gonna read that. So is there any um, expectation that we could have uh, better communication, better, methods of deploying all of these messages yeah. and all this information? So, um, Sandy, I'll be honest, I, we, I try to have a, um, uh, a communications team meeting um, three times a week, usually mm -hmm. Monday, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, first thing in the morning. Um, and, and a lot of these issues are things that we try to, try to get addressed. Um, public health, it would be great if we had public health having the time to come on and um, you know do these things on a regular basis, but I don't think we need public health to do it. I think we right. have other people. We have other people who are more than capable of going through this information and and providing clarity. And I'm going to try to make arrangements to push that further. We do have we push information out through the usual channels. Um, the problem is as as you have alluded to. Um, having an 11 page or 15 page document, people are not going to read all of that, as mm -hmm. you say. They want they want bite sized pieces of information that are relevant to them and they want to be able to identify it easily. So, those are some of the discussions that, that I've had recently. Um, and you know, it's it, it is a challenge sometimes to you know to get everybody on board and to get this information agreed. Um, to make it make sure everybody's had the opportunity to review it and provide any input and then get it out the plan in relation to the national um the, sorry the the lateral flow test policy national lateral flow test policy is to break it down into 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 chunks into bite-sized pieces um and communicate that as regularly and often as possible um and i will through through and i want to again I know I've said this before a lot of times, but I want to tell you again, 
um, I truly appreciate uh, on behalf of government the extent to which um, you have engaged um, and in particular um, our friend Kevin Wattler has engaged and utilized his specialized knowledge and experience um, working in this field in, in, the, in the U.S. Um, you guys have done an amazing job with, with the, the guests that, you've been, that he's been able to line up and, and the information that, that has been provided accurate information not just you know the nonsense that you get sometimes on youtube um with everybody who has a silly idea and um i, I want to thank you again for that and i i think we need to work more with media outlets um, such as yourself to to make sure we get all this information out in in pieces that people are can more readily consume um Yes, there's. I, I learn something new almost every day as well, um, and I think we have. It's a it's a challenge that we have to constantly try to um, achieve to make sure that people are learning just as well as we are, um, and they understand they have the best information available to them, so that they can make the best decisions and and they can understand um, what the relevant information is, because it, you know, understanding and and having information really contributes to a level of um i i think people feel more in control they feel less anxiety um and this is this is really important i think um to be able to ensure that that even in these stressful times we reduce the amount of discomfort we reduce the amount of stress and and um, anxiety that people feel um mm -hmm. situation is getting better our our, our circumstances are relative to many other places are are good but you know statistics are statistics if it's your child that's sick bad um it's your child that's sick bad and you don't care about the statistics after that right um there's, there's a friend who says you know if if um don't tell me about the the 0.02 percent because that could be my child um, so the more information we have the better off better informed will be the better the, the decisions we'll make um and and i think broadly speaking the better the outcomes will be so we're, we're going to continue to try to push that i i agree with you that that um we need to do more and that is something that we're we're pushing to to try to do mm -hmm. okay now we have um i think this particular question is probably being asked by um a lot of individuals but we had Jesse that basically asked the same question. Salma asked the same question. Richie made a comment in relation to it. The fact that PCR testing, um, you know, they're trying to schedule it, they're trying to get it done between doctor's hospital and the HSA, it's just taking too long. Like literally people are waiting past the 14 days sort of thing and they're unable to get hold of anyone to take it, to get a test done. I mean, you should get a, you should get a result on a PCR test in no more than 48 to 72 hours. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I can't imagine that the test itself is taking that long. It has to be, it would have to be some sort of failure in communicating the result. Um, and, and that that is a, a failure, obviously, in itself, because you have now left somebody with on a lot of uncertainty for two weeks about about their um their you know their status. Yeah. That's not that is not good at all. Nobody I mean, you, you, everybody who has ever been to the doctor knows that you go and do a test 
and you have a usual you have a period of time within which you expect the the doctor to come back to you and tell you what your test results are and if once you pass that period of time you start thinking oh my god um it must be bad news if he hasn't responded that's not necessarily the case um but it is not something that is acceptable for people to go that period of time and not know their 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 status um I mean, the implications, it's not just an implication of whether I am sick. Um, it's an implication of whether I am sick and able to, tra- to, um, to transmit this to other people. And I may be in- ignorantly not knowing my status, going about inadvertently um, infecting other people. So that is an issue that we need to get on top of. I don't know why that would be the case. Um, I just, I truly, truly don't know. Um, and that is that is something that, and the more I hear, the more we hear about these types of circumstances, mm-hmm. the, the more empowered we are to put pressure on the system to say, here are real life examples of what's going wrong. Let's get this fixed. Right. So okay. I want to thank people, you know, please be be accurate. Um, don't exaggerate the circumstances. Be accurate and tell us exactly what your circumstances are, exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. And as I said before, you know, Sandy, yourself, that I'll mm-hmm. pick up the phone and call people to find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I called the lady um, on, on the weekend after coming into quarantine. And, and I said, ma'am, this is, I don't know your name, but this is Wayne Panton. Um, and I mm-hmm. understand you're having some difficulties. She said, Wayne Panton, who? I said, well, <laughs> I, I only know of one Wayne Panton, ma'am. Um, but you may know some others i don't she says she says well wayne panton who and i said well sometimes i'm called the premier and she says oh my god you're calling yeah. me. you know um but this i don't care i will roll up my sleeves and do what i have to yeah. do and i, I must tell you our, these are our people and if we can't respond to our people and try to help them you know i'm sorry but <laughs> that's just what yeah. we have to do and, you know, she reached out um, yesterday saying that um, she was very, very grateful for the assistance. She personally messaged me and just wanted to say thank you for, um, you know, for assisting her. So I know that she's definitely um, in a much in a much better position as a result that, of the assistance. That's, that's wonderful to hear. Yeah. So Sharon wants to know after November 20th, will fully vaccinated travelers from the U.S. without a PR code still have to quarantine? Fully vaccinated travelers from the U.S. without a QR code. Um, well, yeah, yeah. No, you don't have to quarantine. If you, there there will be a process through which um, you upload your, your um, vaccination documentation into a portal that, um, I'm not sure whether that's going to be um, a CBC portal or whether it's a travel Cayman portal um, doesn't really matter for these purposes just that there will there there is a portal that will be available um, and the process effectively will be that you submit your vaccination documentation you submit all your all your other travel detail documentation um, our people here will verify uh, they'll take they'll take whatever steps they need to take to verify the vaccination status through the documentation that is provided, um, and then they will issue you with a travel authorization. 
um, or travel authorization authorization certificate. I'm not sure what it's how it's what the nomenclature is for it, um, but you will get an authorization saying yes, you are you are you comply with the requirements in terms of your vaccination status and you are able to travel. Then there's a separate aspect of it, which is complying with the um, with the 72 hour, no more than 72 hour PCR negative test. Um, but let's put that aside for the moment. The In relation to the testing, um, in relation to the test, to, sorry, in relation to vaccination status, that is going to be ascertained um, by um, officers, by authorities in Cayman through this portal and they get the, the traveler who is vaccinated will get a travel authorization in order to come in. Mm -hmm. All right. So Jesse says the Ministry of Health should have been preparing the HSA for the reopening and testing. Shameful lack of leadership and support of our frontline workers. That's Jesse's opinion. Darlene says with no yeah, disrespect. Hang on a second. Hang on a second with that. Okay. I don't, that's not, I don't think that's fair at all. I mean, okay. the HSA is a statutory authority, right? Um, to the extent that they that they it's a statutory authority with their own board of governance and their own management. Um, to the extent that there are policies that need to be pushed to the HSA um, or any other health service provider from the Ministry of Health, um, that that is obviously something that's being done. But the minister and the the Ministry of Health is not in a position and cannot go in and micromanage um, the HSA. The way it has been set up is as a separate, self-governed statutory authority. Um, yes, we can push directives and we can push some policy perspectives and we can tell people to be ready, but the ministry itself can't get in there and interfere and, and do what they, uh, you know, roll up their own sleeves and, and deal with that situation. Um, so everybody has to be working together. Um, public health is also a, a different component from the HSA itself. It is, it is at this moment part of the HSA. Um, that may, that may change. Um, there has been a, 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 um, a, a, an assessment done, I think from years ago now, which basically suggested that it would be, be it would be better to um, have public health as a separate unit of the Ministry of Health and Wellness. Um, so that's something that we'll have a look at. That that study was done, I think, must be ten years ago, um, and and nothing had been done about it. It hadn't been reconsidered. Um, but it is something that we'll we'll now have a look at to see, based on all of our experience, um, based on the, the lessons we've learned. Is it better to realign um, public health separately from the HSC? Mm. That's something that we'll be considering soon. Okay. Um, King has a question about ganja. King, but I invite you to, <laughs> to save that question for another day. Um, uh, he does go on to say that um, this is the premier man on a lot, some good questions. And there's tons of questions. I realize I'm actually behind, so I'm just going to try to get through some of those. Let's switch over to the what's up questions. Some of those have been coming in. So one parent um, wants to know, um, let me just see here. 
One parent wants to know, you know, obviously her child is now in isolation and she's asking, you know, her daughter's been in quarantine for six days and there's been no help or contact from HSA. So a lot of people are waiting on HSA to contact them if, or I guess public health technically, and like you said, really they're kind of using the two. Um, they're waiting for them to contact them. And then they're also saying that if they call the flu hotline, they're having an issue there. So remember folks, there has been a new isolation um, assistance program set up. So let's make sure that we have all of those contact details. But the question here is why is government not providing school lunches to students who are in quarantine? So I know this government recently launched um, a free lunch program for kids when they're in school, but I guess that's a fair point because maybe some of those same um, disenfranchised children are now at home without a meal. Well, I mean, that is... That's logistically that, that, a, a big that problem. Adds a new, that adds a, an additional logistical problem. Um, yeah. And the way the way we have been trying to address the problem of, of people getting um, getting food at home mm -hmm. is through a combination of, of efforts um, involving you know some some of hazard management um, helping out um, the Red Cross um, as well as um, in, in, in at least initially it was it involved a lot of people from public health being mm -hmm. being um, on board and doing that as well so it's for for us i think it's about making sure that the entire family um, mm -hmm. who may be um is supported is supported and not yeah. just taking school lunches <coughs> and delivering to children i mean you you would think you would hope that if they're at home and they're they have enough food at home mm -hmm. <coughs> sorry that they're being um they're being taken care of mm-hmm yeah it's 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 a tough situation um for families for sure and someone also yeah, wanted to it's know a huge challenge it's a huge challenge yeah um, sometimes you know sometimes it it feels i and i know for for families it probably feels um you know like an insurmountable issue and um mm -hmm. sometimes for for those in government you feel that it's a very you know it's a challenge that it's it's nearly impossible to meet expectations of everybody but yeah. you just got to keep going at it you know no matter how difficult it is you've got to keep going at it because these are our people and we've got to help people we've mm -hmm. got to get through this together this yeah. is not going to go on forever but it is a challenge that we've got to we've got to get through together we've got to get to the other side of this together mm -hmm. however long that takes and uh, folks, people are also asking Premier about the ex gratia payments. And once you apply for that, how long um, is it taking for them to receive some sort of response on that one? Any idea? I don't know. Um, I don't have a, a, an indication right now of the timeline that's involved with that, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, I, I wouldn't expect it to be taking more than um, at most a couple of weeks, but I just, I don't have that metric available to me at this point. Because mm -hmm. there's a verification process, folks. So it's not like you just apply and they're going to hand you a check. They need to make sure that you Correct. are employed and that you're actually in isolation for, you know, specific reasons and Correct. so on. Correct. Um, so uh, maybe we'll try to reach out to who, who, which government agency or department is actually handling that? That is being handled through the... Um, 
it's it's under the deputy premier's ministry. Um, I'm not sure whether it's the Ministry of Finance or whether it's um, I'm not sure if it, I'm not sure exactly which one. Um, mm -hmm. I'll have to I'll have to to speak with him about it um, and get some clarity, and I'll I'll send you a message to confirm that so you can relay that. Right. Okay. Um, let me just see what other questions we have coming in. We've got quite a few. So, folks, I also want to remind you all that the um, November vaccine schedule is out. There is a version two. So let me just ensure that uh, we've got the latest version um, available for everyone to have a look at. I know a lot of you will message me on a regular basis asking me, where can I go today? So yeah. here is the, um, the vaccine schedule. The HSA is also hiring. So folks, I posted this last week. They're looking for nurses, nurses assistants, and healthcare aides. So if you um, enjoy, you know, helping people and working with people, there's also part-time opportunities available um, for various shifts that include evenings and weekends. Um, so definitely reach out to the HSA uh, HR department for some of, of those bits and pieces of information. Um, employment, if you're looking for jobs. Uh, let me just go back, Premier Panton, to some of the questions that had come in prior to the show. Sure. So we have um, a question about Savannah Primer, but can I suggest we do that another day and kind of keep it COVID related? Right. Um, so this per this question is about government assistance. So the first question is, can the banks offer a one to two month mortgage waiver from December of 2021 to January of 2022? Obviously, you can't speak for the banks, but um, what would you think about them? I know most of them ex extended up to six months already, or maybe even more, of a waiver yeah, I mean, last year. I think, yeah, I think the banks have have um, the at least the vast majority of them. The approach that has been taken has been quite helpful. Um, they have been they have been lenient. And they have had programs in place. Um, you know, interestingly, some of the some of the biggest complaints I had was people who were who were saying um well i didn't ask for this this um this kind of break and therefore you right. should <laughs> you should credit me with and i you know with all the um the payments that i made and 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 not charge me interest on this program and um they, they've been they've been fairly good as from what i can see um i i think on a i think the the advice that i've always given people in relation to banks is be very honest with your bank um, and have a conversation about where things are at um, and, and what assistance you need as early as possible. The sooner you do it, the more honest you are. I think generally, um, the the um, the you know the, the better the outcome. Um, so I as to whether they're going to do that for December and January, uh, you know I can certainly have a conversation with the. Um, with the Bankers Association, um, but unless I, I think at this point, particularly given that we are um, going through a transition um, reopening phase, which is um, which is more positive, which is creating more opportunities, um, they they may be more willing to to hold on and work with people. Um, I'm not sure that you know they're going to agree anything that has request been requested like that but as i said they will work with people and i think with the growing opportunities 
um, I think that will give them greater confidence mm -hmm. to, you know, to be more helpful um, and to recognize the circumstances and the opportunities that are presented by this. Mm -hmm. um, Charlene is reminding me to get to the WhatsApp questions, which I am. Good morning to Andrew. So we had um, another question and someone was also asking about additional pension withdrawals. I did try to help this person recognize that sort of um, knock-on effect that we were talking about earlier, um, you know, like increase the minimum wage. You know, if you allow people to completely deplete their pensions, which a lot of people probably did with the first drawdown, um, yeah. what's the knock-on effect? Well, I mean, we, I think back in the, in the, the late 90s, we implemented an, a national pension system um, because we recognized then that many, many companies did not have, it was only the multinational companies really that offered pension products um, and pension benefits, I should say, to their to their employees. Um, most of the companies in Cayman did not. And the reality is people, if people would um, save on their own um, and recognize that, you know, they, they need they, they may live 20 years beyond when um, they, they retire, the point that they were generally expected to retire, and they need to be able to save and, and, um, and to be able to, to afford um, life for that period. Um, if they would do that on their own, we wouldn't need to worry about pensions. Mm -hmm. The reality is most people don't. Most people don't think that far down the road. And also, many people are in circumstances where you know, it's very difficult for them to 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 effectively plan. They were they're worried more about how they're going to make a living day to day, um, and how they're going to you know meet some of their expenses day to day. And the pension national pension plan was effectively put in place to ensure that you know there would be something, they would have something available to them in their retirement years. The reality, though, is that what we put in place. Um, was not anywhere near um, what was needed, um, and now we have we have for you know whatever whatever the rationale, whatever you want to argue about the the pension um, access that was granted last year, it did help some people. Uh, some people, some people, I think, just wasted it on 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 unnecessary things, but it did help a lot of people. Um, but what it has done is it has significantly eroded the level of pension benefits that um, that have existed for people and we already know that we need pension reform in order to improve the level of pension benefits that are available to people and we can't go back we can't keep going backwards by eroding um you know what little system or little pension benefits we have um just to just because somebody um, you know, wants access to it right now to help their problem right now. Um, they need to be able to to resolve this situation. We need to be able to resolve the situation through pension reform so that their future is protected. Um, it's not, it's, it's, it is a difficult thing, I know. And a lot of people look at it and say, well, it's my money and I can spend it however I want. Well, yes and no. I mean, um, the 5% that's taken from you now that's your money, but the five percent that comes from from employers, um, that is regarded as their contribution to the betterment of the, of your future and, and your your post retirement years. 
Um, and should you be able to just take that and utilize that how you want? Um, my argument would be no. Um, now, if, if we were in a situation where it was warranted and there was no other option, uh, would I consider it? Yes. Would I consider it right now? I don't think so. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it would be it would be making a bad a bad situation worse. All right. So Christopher wants to know what's the procedure for travelers coming to Cayman when the border reopens on November twentieth. Is approval required from Travel Cayman? So I think this question might have been answered because you're a little bit behind. But you did mention there's a portal that will go out for people to upload their documents that need to be Correct. verified. Correct. So whether you're whether you have a QR code or whether you have um, documentation without a QR code, you can upload that information to the the, the travel portal, um, and they will. If it's a QR code, obviously you get it very quickly. Um, it might take a couple of days to verify the vaccination uh, records if you don't have a an electronic verification, um, and then they'll issue you with a travel certificate, a travel authorization. Okay, Miss um, Ivis you, says you still, you still would have to take the the pre-flight PCR um, and get a negative on that as well. Right. So that is the second element that I mentioned where you have to. Um, we haven't. I, I don't think we've determined exactly whether you would log back into the system and update that, or whether you would present that to the airlines. Mm-hmm. I think airlines. It seems to me that a lot of the airlines don't want to take the responsibility of checking these things. Mm-hmm. So. We're, we've got to work out exactly how that works, but we'll get that sorted out in the next, the next few days. Mm-hmm. So Ms. Iva is saying, what happens when someone is at home with someone that tests positive, and when you report it, no one from public health even reaches out to the family? So again, um, I think we touched on that a little bit earlier, but yeah, those, some those are, happening. Those are, those are, that's an unfortunate situation, and it shouldn't happen. Um, and we need to have... Um, you know, public health do a better job of of um, reaching out and addressing mm-hmm. those scenarios. Um, public health has, you know, we've we've been pushing for the capacity to be built across the board to address these issues. Um, you know, as we've said before, this none of this comes with a with a playbook that you can say this is how you do it. Um, mm-hmm. So we're we're looking at the experiences of other countries. We're looking at our own experiences um, over 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 time, and in, and in particular, our own experiences since the beginning of September, when we first started having these incidents of um, community transmission. And you know, we're we're trying to respond, and we're building out capacity and hiring new people into into public health to work with them. Um, but it can't; it doesn't happen overnight, and there will be um, there will be issues. Um, it's unfortunate, and I I apologize for those people who are who are not getting calls. And I can promise you that I will be going back and saying exactly what I've been saying before. We've got to do better. We've got to do better. We've got to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and just an FYI, folks, I am screen grabbing uh, some of your comments. So El Ray and Melanie asking different com- uh, questions. One about concessions and one about the environment. So I think the next show um, that the premier comes on for his Q and A segment, we will definitely um, do the environment and talk about COP twenty six in a little sure. bit more detail. So Mel, hang on, uh, we're going to come to you. So James wants to know why would tourists come here? We're a high risk location with our current positivity rate, 
and our test to release um, policy could see tourists prevented from traveling here for weeks or even months after their departure date. Um, so why why are we still a desirable jurisdiction? I mean, do we look at places like Jamaica and TCI who've had an upsurge in tourism, although yeah, I, they've been dealing with COVID? <laughs> yeah, I missed the last bit of that um, that comment, but just in general, um, I mean, Jamaica has a much higher positivity rate. Um, and a much and lower a, vaccination rate. And a much lower vaccination rate. Um, Dominican Republic, the same. TCI has had some some real issues as well and during the period of time in which they have had high transmission they have had you know they've been saying we've got we've got record tourism going on as well um jamaica i don't know what their tourism numbers look like but i haven't heard that you know that they have had some major drop off um yes we we will have comments made we may have um the, the cdc issuing you know the statements of you know this is what came out is as they do for with for, with, for any other country mm -hmm. but i do not believe that it um i do not believe that it will impact us in the way that some people seem to be suggesting and it's on i i, I think it's rather unfortunate that um we have some of the political element in particular um making comments that you know Cayman is going to suffer because of the community transmission and that that um, people are going to lose their jobs and lose their homes and all the sort of you know doomsday kind of predictions that is just crazy and irresponsible and unacceptable for those kinds of comments i mean who's whose side are you on which team are you on if you're not on cayman's team right whatever your political persuasion that's just irresponsible and ridiculous um you know we irrespective of when or how this community transmission came about um we are in a position that we would be in uh, at some point if we if we had the, the borders open there's no escaping it we are we need to actually we as i've said before we need to take responsibility all of us collectively um individually and we've got to try to reduce the level of of local transmission there's no question about that um but we are going to have local transmission irrespective of when the borders are open. The opposition wanted them open on September 1st. Um, we we held off until um, September 9th as the day we were shifting into um, phase three. Uh, we then paused phase three because of the significant outbreak at Georgetown Primary and the way the, the, the it was clear to us that the population by and large, we're not ready for the transition. We are now a lot more ready. Um, and people, there are still people who are concerned. I still get messages from people saying, please don't reopen. Um, and I understand those concerns, but we can't keep ourselves isolated. We've got to move forward. And we've got to do it as safely as possible. Um, and that's what we're trying to achieve. And obviously, as I said, one of the strategies with that is to push vaccination as high and uh, the rate as high as possible and we have achieved our target and we're going to exceed our target we have exceeded our target and that's going to continue to grow um when when we hopefully it won't be too long before we get the approval for children between five <coughs> and eleven pardon me and um 
I know that there are parents who have indicated to me that they they want to be able to vaccinate their children. So the number is going to continue to go up. <coughs> um, sorry, I'm going to drink some water here. Yeah, so you got to have that ready when you come on here, because trust me, <laughs> lots and lots of questions. I've got my yeah. handy uh, water available here. A lot of so talking. Some, yeah, lots of talking. Someone was asking about who will provide the um, lateral flow test to children. <coughs> so how will that work when they come in? Are they purchasing well, these or? Um, there, there will be, um, I, I think they, the, um, the tourism stakeholders are finalizing the calibration of that and, and, and what the details are around that. Um, we, we, I don't think we're just going to be giving them the lateral flow test, um, but we're talking about, you know, two tests, um, per, um, per tourist effectively on average, given the 5.5 or six days average day. Um, so if we're doing it on day two and day five, um, that's going to be, um, two tests. So that may be, um, done through the hotel that may be done. Um, through public health, that may be done um, uh, through Travel Cayman or something like that. Um, that detail has not been worked out. We just know that, you know, we're going to be doing this. Um, and, and it's quite, in my mind, it's, it would be appropriate for tourists to be paying for that rather than, than, um, than the government itself. But again, um, that's subject to change. Yes. So I do see a number of questions about children and lateral flow tests. So I'm going to invite you to um, kind of rewind the program because that was covered. Um, here's a question. Will government recognize Caymanians who have had the virus, but not the vaccine for traveling back home? So in other words, they have like an antibodies test that they can produce. Um, I, I think the um, that is a, a question which the chief medical officer has been considering. Um, at this point, the answer is no, um, but it could be that um, a policy gets adopted, which, for example, says that up and up to three months after you have recovered from COVID, you may be regarded as having sufficient antibodies. Um, but don't buy the line that you see um, the narrative that you see put out there very often that um, natural immunity developed from recovering from COVID is for life and that it is better than the vaccine and all that sort of stuff. That mm -hmm. is patently untrue. Um, study after study has demonstrated that. Um, mm -hmm. So, yes, the answer is yes, we, we may get to that point, um, but we're not there just yet. We're trying to deal with a myriad of other issues at the same time. Um, and that is one thing that we, we may get to, um, just not yet. Okay. And another question along this same line, similar line, is if a person is coming from any country where vaccination cannot be confirmed by Cayman, but they have a vaccination certificate from origin country, would an apostille be valid? So that's a very specific um, question, but basically yeah. about the verification of um, 
of a vaccine. Well, so I, I would ask, why wouldn't it be something that we could confirm? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, if it, I would imagine that um, if there's sufficient um, documentation around it uh, to confirm it, then our people, our people would be able to confirm it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the absence of a QR code. Right. But remember, I think remember that um, the rule is if you are coming from a country. Mm -hmm with a single dose vaccination record of 60% or greater, then you can, you, you don't need to, um, you, you don't need to have a electronic verification and it can be verified through the portal with travel came on. If however, you're coming from a country which has a vaccination record of less than that, then you need to have, um, a QR code so that it is securely verified um, or you end up doing the, um, I don't know if it's 10 days or 14 days quarantine. Mm -hmm. uh, CJW White says you need to address the issues with the flu hotline. It's crazy and the employees are very unprofessional. I know some are still quarantined for after 17 days and they need and they keep on giving them the runaround and I think they're understaffed. Public health is so slack with customer service. So um, CJ White asking for customer service training as well as additional agents. Um, Hero Blair, good morning to you. Says congratulations to Sandy and Kevin for their input. Mr. Premier, that deserves being on the honors list next time. Oh, we don't need any accolades like that. Let's calm down. <laughs> We're just doing I, our I part. agree though. <laughs> we are just doing our part, trust me. Um, so Patricia says, when a classmate is positive, other students are tested, and if negative, can go to school. So why are unvaccinated minors required to quarantine if negative? Unvaccinated, sorry, repeat that. Take, go so back to that. One. She says, when a classmate is positive, so this is the confusion of that whole right. um, lateral flow and isolation policy, but when a classmate is positive, other right. students are tested, and if negative, can go to school. So yes. why are unvaccinated minors required to quarantine if negative? So that's that's the same question about, um, you know, why do the, the, that is that is effectively the same question. But why why can't you apply the lateral flow test mm -hmm. uh, process to unvaccinated minors traveling in? Um, I, I think the reality for us there is, you know, the students that are here, these are our people, um, these are our residents, they are here. And when there are positives in the school, we want to be able to utilize the lateral flow test to allow them to continue to go to school, to get all the benefits of that, um, all the interpersonal benefits and all the educational benefits of that. Um, there, there, That is a problem for us and that is a solution for us to help us with our people, our, our residents. The, the question about having unvaccinated minors coming in and utilizing lateral flow tests in relation to them, um, that is a whole other scenario and a different proposition. And for right now, the view is, you know, we're not going to go down that path. Um, that's not the same scenario as utilizing LFTs to ensure that our children who are who remain negative can go to school and get the benefits of that. That's mm -hmm. a different scenario altogether. We may get there, um, and you know, in in 
four or five weeks after or six weeks after we we look at what's happened after the quarantine envelope has dropped on the 20th we may we may look at that and say okay um we think we're in a position to make a decision in relation to this but for right now the, the medical advice um, has been don't add that level of risk just yet mm -hmm. um so, so Janet, Janet, um it's Ooh, you're gonna have to, time already you're gonna have to let me off i have cabinet this morning so okay. i've already been um ducking some phone calls so i know yes. people are getting frantic thinking uh, <laughs> i'm not available um, yeah so. well thank you so much um and I'm, I'm sort of banking questions for the next time, folks, that the premiere is on and we can kind of broaden the scope. I know Absolutely. we wanted to cover a lot of COVID-related stuff, but my goodness, the questions are still coming in hot and heavy. But um, Premier, again, thank you for joining the program this morning. We appreciate you taking a few hours out of your busy schedule to be with us. And hopefully in another couple of weeks, folks, will be rejoining us. Um, it's going to be a Q&A segment with the premiere at least twice per month we'll get started so get your questions ready for the next time and my apologies for not being able to get through all of them yeah. thank you for coming on sir thank you and thank you very much thank you for all you do and and thank you to the people of cayman um thank you to all your listeners and and, and um viewers um really um, appreciate the level of interaction and you know we are going to continue to work together we're one cayman we're going to succeed um, we're going to, we're going to help each other get there. Okay. Um, I appreciate the, the issues, um, and we're constantly working to try to address them. So mm -hmm. please continue to continue to inform us of the problems you're having so that we can work on resolving those and providing solutions as, as quickly as possible. Thank you all very much. Um, love you all. Take care. Have a great day, um, and enjoy the rest of the week. All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. All right, folks, so stay tuned. I'm still going to read some of your comments. Clifton says, thanks, Honorable Premier. Denise says, if employees refuse to pay, who pays? Well, please be reminded that there is an ex gratia payment that has now been implemented. Now, I know this only applies to Caymanians, but if you're in a situation where you're in isolation, um, folks, and you know, you're unable to get paid, you can apply. There's a criteria. I think we posted the article. Let me just see if I can give you guys the link again. Um, we posted the article on our website recently. So the link is in the article on how to apply the criteria, which you need to use um, to apply as well, is also in that article. So the government has set aside a million dollars at this stage. This was announced. Um, we put it up on October the 24th. I think it was announced the day before um, at a uh, press conference. You're welcome, Clinton. Uh, he's joining us in Oklahoma. So there's the link. Have a look at that article that will tell you the criteria. I do appreciate it's only four Caymanians, but I think the government, you know, only has so much of a budget that can only stretch so far. So um, Soka, thank you so much. I also got a question about free lunches. Um, let me just see where that message is again. So someone basically said that lunches are available and they're being delivered by buses. Uh, let me just see where that is. Give me one second. Who sent that to me? Oh, yikes. Somebody sent it. Uh, okay. Well, somebody sent it. Let me see if I can find it again. I think the premier just resent it as well. Right. So he says all students who are in required isolation are still receiving school lunches. The bus companies are delivering the lunches 
And if a parent is keeping the student home at their own choice, they'll not get the meal. So that's a different situation. If a family is not receiving these lunches, they can contact the school or the Department of Education Services. So um, that's the protocol, folks. So again, if you um, require the free lunch service, apparently that is continuing. So please, um, let me just send this to the person who asked. Please reach out to the school or the Department of um, Education Services, and they will assist with those. So thank you, Miss Sue. Soka is here um, asking about tests per box. Um, Shahini says, my family and I went to the U.S. over the school break, all vaccinated, myself being the most nervous, armed with bleach wipes and sanitizer and mask. After seeing the way that the rest of the world was moving, I was shocked and felt very relaxed after a few days. Tested negative prior to arriving and tested negative after my seven-day quarantine, even though we did everything possible while away, including going to carnival and fair. So um, Shahini is basically saying that, listen, folks, the rest of the world has moved on and they're living life fairly normally. And um, K-Man is still, um, you know, in this bubble, which, by the way, I don't know if you guys saw the news as it relates to COVID-related news, but um, Europe is the new hotspot for COVID infections. And so their numbers are surpassing everybody else at the moment. So, I mean, that is what it is. Um, someone said, I missed your live at the premiere. I've been talking, I've been looking for the updates website about quarantine for the 20th, but can't find it anywhere. Do you know what's the plan? Um, so I think that it needs to be um, launched. I think that was supposed to go live last night. So let me see if I can get some additional updates on that. Uh, let me see. What are the questions we have? Someone said, can you ask the premier, why is private sector not supporting staff at rapid tests? Thank you. Well, listen, private sectors has even gone as far as saying, you know, they recommend that you, they highly recommend a lot of them that you get vaccinated. If you choose not to get vaccinated, you will have to do a weekly PCR test for your employment. And you do that at your cost. Listen, I think companies will only absorb so much cost. You know, everybody's in this together. We're all making choices um, about our level of risk and so on. Some people mentioned earlier in the program that there's some people who are being extremely irresponsible with the choices that they're making. And I think to be fair to companies, uh, they will be making decisions to just keep you employed. And you may not understand the reality of how hard it is right now for companies to continue to keep you employed. A lot of people haven't lost their jobs. They haven't gotten a pay cut, et cetera, et cetera, although some businesses have shut down. And if you want that to continue being the position, what's more important to you? Public sector giving you, uh, a private sector, sorry, giving you a free lateral test and putting more burden on themselves or them maintaining the situation saying, hey, this is what we can do. Some companies, we pointed this out before, like Foster's has already given their staff um, pay increases, you know, cost of living increases. So folks, I think we need to be very realistic. Like you can't, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Now, I know, I know y'all getting a free lunch from government, but let me encourage you to go through life understanding in the vast majority of cases, there is no such thing as a free lunch. We all need to be as resilient as we possibly can on an individual level, take accountability for our decisions and the things that we're doing. And we've all screwed up. We've all 
overspent, gone over budget, made purchases in retrospect, were like, oh my God, I, I could kick myself for that purchase. I didn't need it. It was a want. Now I don't have money to pay my bills. You know, but if we also, on this other hand, don't learn to be more responsible um, with our finances and take personal accountability and stop waiting for other people to bail us out, you know, I think that um, we need to have those types of tough discussions too. You know, we've all been in credit issues. We've all been on the verge of bankruptcy. Why are we tethering on not being able to pay your bills every single month? We need to have those conversations. We need to have some finance people on this program who can tell us how to get it together, how to save money, how to spend your money more wisely, rainy fund jar, you know, all those things we definitely need to do. <clears throat> so there, someone just said that their, their company is actually supplying lateral flow tests um, and that's DMS. So DMS is going to do it for their staff. Uh, we don't, you know, like I said, a lot of companies may not be in the position to do it. So hats off to the ones that can and that do it. Uh, CJW says, I enjoyed this discussion. You're most welcome. Denise is asking about the hardship stipend. So I think I mentioned that before, right? This is the ex um, gratia payment of a million dollars that has been set aside. Mm -hmm. Fully vaccinated traveling back after the 20th. So the 19th arrived, do they quarantine for five to 10 days or just day one? Well, listen, Kevin, Kerwin, sorry. If it says that it goes into effect on the 20th, you can't expect um, to get the benefit on the 19th. This is just how it works. <laughs> so it's going to be for people arriving on or after the 20th. Simple? Yes. Because I've got people, I'm coming in at 17th. Uh, that ain't 20th. So you can't keep sliding the rules all over the place because then you confuse people. So no, the 20th going forward is the policy. Uh, we'll try to get confirmation on the portal as soon as it goes live. Um, yes, lateral flow tests are always going to be self-administered. I don't think anyone's going to show up to your door to do a lateral flow test. Mm -hmm. Um. <clears throat> Jonathan's saying he's like to see angel investors come to Cayman. Hmm. So travel time, I'll reach out to them about that website. I'm also going to reach out to the census folks um, to see whether or not they'd be willing to come in the program because I realized that a lot of your questions um, had to do about the census today. So it'd be useful to have them in the program. So Ms. Janet shares that her brother-in-law went to get tested and because he doesn't have an email uh, he told them, they told him to come back the next day. He went back the next day, but it was not ready to come back to day two. Good thing he did not go back because he was positive and they called him to find out why he didn't come back for his results. Hello, he's positive and they want him to come back out and get his re results. So here's the thing, folks. I mean, listen, um, this is the 21st century and I think we assume that everybody has email but the reality is that there might be people who actually do not have um, access to email. So what I would recommend is if you don't have access to email personally, try to get the email address of someone that you trust that, you know, you can get your, your test results sent to. If I didn't have an email, I would say, here's my husband's email address, send it to him. That's fine. If he knows that I'm positive, we're in the same household, not a big deal. But you've got to understand that the system can only meet you halfway with all these exceptions, and all this sort of stuff happening, right? 
So folks, if you, again, are in a position, um, you know that you're going to go in and get tested. Now you know they're emailing you results to try to expedite the process because they can't call every person. Every phone call is probably at least a 10 to 15 minute phone call. So they're saying, listen, we can have someone sitting at a computer and moving a lot faster and being able to, um, you know, get you the results quicker by email. So you, going back to personal responsibility and accountability, need to make sure that when you go in, you are ready with an email address, even if it's not your personal address. We all know they want to send it by email. Now, I have suggested they could just as easily send it by WhatsApp because everybody has WhatsApp. I don't think they've taken that suggestion on board, but text, WhatsApp, or email. Like I would give people the options, really, because WhatsApp messages, I'm more likely to see a WhatsApp message immediately than even a text message or even an email, right? Everybody's on their WhatsApp, but you know they haven't done that, so it's email. So if you don't have access to an email, when you go in there, you need to be saying, um, listen, I don't have access to email, but here is an alternative or an, an, an email address that you can send it to that someone is number one checking because you don't want to send it to the person who never checks their email. And um, then they can contact your WhatsApp you to say, yes, honey, you're positive. Here are your results, right? So think think about how you can help the process. I mean, we don't always have to sit back and wait for government to do every single thing for us. We should be a little bit more self-reliant. So big shout out to your friends over at Recover Cayman. If you get in a vehicular accident, they're the experts that you want to go to in terms of your legal experts who are going to give you um, no charge free advice for what your, um, you know, what possibilities in terms of recovering any money. If you're injured in particular, you will definitely want to speak to them. Accidents happen at any time. When you least expect it, be prepared. Reach out to Recover Personal Injury Attorneys. We don't get paid until you recover. And boy, are they absolutely 100% correct about accidents happening at any time. Trust me. Someone actually caught the accident that happened on Saturday at that intersection, like, you know, the Mango Tree, Foster's, Aeropost intersection. Super busy. I hate coming out of there because I always feel like, oh, this is a high-risk intersection. Because you've got, it's a roundabout, basically, that everybody's going into. And you've got people coming from all sorts of directions, not always paying attention. And it was raining on Saturday, so that made it even worse. Because y'all know you can't you can't drive even when the weather's perfect, much less when it's raining. So um, that was an accident, and someone actually caught it. Their dash cam caught it. I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. Um, isolation support line. If you need help, this is isolation support line and email address. There's a toll free number, a regular phone number, and an email address, folks. So please make note of that for your benefit. Don't forget, um, if you're ordering and shipping anything to the Cayman Islands, you want to do... Ho, ho, ho! It's that time of year again. Christmas is right around the corner, and you do not want to delay. Because of COVID-19, there are numerous logistics delays expected. Give yourself the gift of a true Christmas miracle by planning ahead with Miracle Brokers. Whether you're moving halfway around the world or ordering a new car for your loved one, contact Miracle Miracle today at 949-5989. Yes, folks. Um, contact Miracle today. They've got you covered. Um, 
So I know we've gone a little bit into overtime. I've got a 10.30 meeting that I'm going to jettison off to. My apologies if we did not get to all of your questions. Um, like I said, I've screenshot some of them. Um, if we... Uh, if we can uh, get to them the next time. So again, the premier has committed to at least twice per month coming on the program. I'll get the next date from him shortly. Um, in terms of, you know, just Q and A, you're just asking questions. Today's Q and A was obviously um, specific to a lot of the COVID and the reopening stuff. We will do, I think the next show, um, you know, and the environment, because this is something that is of particular interest to us. And a lot of us are very, very concerned about. So we will get that um, done as well. My apologies. I'm just doing a few little things here. So, um, so yeah, you know, send your questions through and I'll definitely save them up for him. There were a ton of questions. I'm sorry we could not get to all of them. Um, Tiffany, that question was asked and answered already. Uh, tourists will be responsible for their own lateral flow test, basically. So thank you, um, Soka, Kerwin. Um, at one point, we had over 433 people on the live stream. Appreciate all of you tuning into the program today with your questions and comments. Um, there's a few that I saw were hyper-focused on negative comments. Cameron, I noticed your comments were all negative pretty much, but you know what? I think the premier did his best to um, answer your questions. We didn't get to all of them because you did ask a lot of questions as well. I did notice. Uh, and I would invite you to, um, folks just to listen to the answers, go back and rewind the program. And you'll hear that you probably have a question that was already answered. And my apologies if I did not get to all of your questions, but I'll try to, um, hmm, okay. So someone says, Johnny, Cumber is not providing school lunches to schools and required isolation after positive tests, huh? Uh, really? So how can John A. Cumber have a different policy than the rest of the schools? That don't make no sense. Uh, mm, okay, that truly makes no sense. And maybe that's just like a message from the premier saying, John A. Cumber, get it together. What are y'all doing? Okay, that's it. Thank you very, very much, folks. Got to get to work now. Got stuff to do. I feel like every single day, um, this person says they reached out to Department of Education Services and got it sorted. So the school may not be on the ball, but Education Services is. Eh. I feel like every single um, day, folks, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but uh, you know, you've only got so many hours in a day. We get the same 24 hours. And my gosh, some days I feel like it's, I do one or two things and then it's time to pick my daughter up from school. I'm like, where did the time go? I still got so much more to do. And I try to um, work in the evenings as well. Um, folks, we are aware of the CDC notice. They have heightened the alert for the Cayman Islands. And I'm going to have that put up on the website shortly. I've sent that up. Uh, I sent that out to um, my writer already. What I can tell you is that was to be expected, quite frankly. And not only is it to be expected, but even in the US and Europe, their numbers are skyrocketing and rising. And yeah, they're gonna raise the alert, but that doesn't mean that it's gonna stop people from coming in. And if people don't listen, if we only have an increase of um, 10, 15% for tourists coming in, then that's 10, 15% more than what you have. Um, and that helps to agitate the, um, in a positive way, the economy a little bit. So we're not saying that come November 20th, we're gonna have you know, droves of people coming into our borders, 
this is only phase four. Remember, we haven't even gotten to the next phase. So this is a slow progressive process, progression um, to get to, you know, where we are just having to live with COVID. And yes, our numbers have increased. We do have community spread. I noticed that someone said, oh yeah, they're trying to blame the community spread on the community as opposed to blame it on the tourists. And I'm like, well, it's not a matter of blame. These are like factual numbers, like 2% of the positives right now are from incoming travelers. So, you know, I, I don't know what to say. Like some people will only, there's confirmation bias. People will only see what they want to see. And there's no talking to those people otherwise really, because no matter what you say to them about, this is what vaccination numbers say, this is what, you know, they're always gonna find a creative way to try to get around what is the real world reality? It kind of reminds me of what I was experiencing watching between Friday and yesterday, this young lady testify in the Tortuga robbery, which we're going to talk about on Friday. Y'all want to tune in for that show. It's like people can convince themselves of anything. I am now convinced of that. <laughs> I mean, trust me. They can tell the biggest lie in the world and they believe that lie themselves. We're going to talk about it on Friday specific to that case, but that basic comment goes above and beyond, um, you know, the Tortuga robbery case. A lot of y'all are just convincing yourself of stuff that isn't even true, right? It just isn't true, but you still tell yourself that it's true. And the statistics don't support your anecdotal stories or any of that. And you still insist on telling yourself that that is what it is. Folks, do not forget this evening, Tune in at 7 p.m. Kevin will be interviewing Dr. Kumar from Total Health, uh, discussing diabetes and COVID-19. 7 p.m., uh, you do not want to miss this conversation. We know a lot of people in the Cayman Islands are diabetic, they're pre-diabetic, and you want to hear um, more about that as it relates to COVID. So thank you guys uh, so much for tuning into the program today. Love you guys so much. Thank you for your support. Um, thank you for all of your questions. And again, my apologies that we couldn't get to all of them, but um, I will save a lot of those for the next time. And you guys have yourselves an absolutely fantastic, fabulous, off the chain Tuesday. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of The Cold Hard Truth. Make sure to check Facebook for showtimes and more information and the latest news at CaymanMarlRoad.com. Subscribe to our IG and Facebook pages to get the latest happenings. 